there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On this season of the Video Archives podcast, Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery opened up the doors to Video Archives and handed each of us our very own membership card. I have all the video cassettes from Video Archives, and we're sitting in a room that... Looks almost like an obsessive shrine to video archives, but it's just a really groovy storeroom, all right? Had fun checking out movies from the shelves. On Jupiter's moon, I'm the only law. <laughs> well, I love Don't fuck this up, Mitchell! Yeah. Don't fuck this up, Mitchell! People crying everywhere. Children half eaten everywhere. The film is sick as fuck. Don't you want to go to the sun? No. You're going to get into that sun. You're going to look at that beautiful sun. His <laughs> minions! Minions! I'm with him, and, and he is going to blow up fucking England, yeah. basically. Disagreed on a few titles. Does she go downstairs to the front desk? No, she goes home to tell Michael Douglas all about the whole thing. I mean, if you had, like, 20 or 30 dead bodies It's not 20 you, or 30, it's like nine. I, I'm going to go home and I'm going to count I, the bodies. I, 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 Got personal. We're Do watching well. this movie together and go, oh my god, am I Nikki? Yeah, oh my god, am I Mikey? <laughs> Things that happen are so irreversible to mm-hmm. Waldo. I cry every time I watch this movie. There was a, a collective sigh in the cinema, and we realized that she is no more. Red old film reviews. This Westworld ripoff succeeds, while also blazing its own trail across the rocky range of mountains known as science fiction. But it's the unexpected roughneck performance by the usually flaccid Kier Dulea that surprises <laughs> above all. Sang songs. Hey, 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 Bim all the way. Eyes are like a prisoner, I'm captured by your eyes. Invited guest customers to the store. I am so excited to be here. Very honored, too, to be a guest or customer. It's the most Night of the Hunter movie that isn't Night of the Hunter. Actually, Eyes of Laura Mars was released under a different title in Boston. It was Eyes of Laura Maz. Yeah. <laughs> Brought back an old employee. Yeah. I'm Rue. 
Julie, Julie McLean in the house. We're going to have some fire today, y'all. I'm bringing it. A redhead, feisty, let's go. Checked out Old Faithfuls. Straw Dogs. Made in 1971. Such a powder keg. Or even afraid to talk about it in 2020. Part of what I love about Dark Star is one that it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Introduce us to some new favorite titles. It's a science fiction masterpiece. I watched Coma and I liked it so much. I actually think this is now one of my favorite movies of all time. Showing me this film in the year 2022 is akin to throwing gasoline on fire. <laughs> Enjoy the magic of VHS. Da -da 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 -da. Magnetic video, magnetic video, magnetic video. What's special about this transfer is you can tell it's taken from an IB Technicolor print. Yeah. And we killed that Bakalov. Okay, kill the Bakalov. Kill the Bakalov. Cut the Bakalov. Cut the Henry Mancini. Kill the Bakalov. Kill the Bakalov. And for the last time this season, cut the Bakalov. And now, we bring you the season one finale. I'm your reporter on the beat with her black and gold envelope at the ready, Gala Avery, bringing you the what's what about our awards show. Before Quentin and Roger hand out the awards in all sorts of categories ranging from best video transfer to favorite quote, I'm here on the red carpet to get you the scoop from the guys on how they feel this season went and where season two may lead us. So it's our very last episode of our season. And of course, what we have to end it with is what we end every episode with, the awards. But before we get into our awards, I'm sitting here right now with Quentin and Roger. And I want to ask you guys. What did you guys love about this season that we just did? Because it's our very first season of the podcast. Well, um, this has been so incredibly special for me because uh, Quentin and I, after not seeing each other for many, many, many years, really, mm -hmm. uh, coming back together and spending so much time and watching movies together and laughing and uh, and just hanging out and, you know, just sitting on the couch and eating Chinese food or yeah. Thai food. No, we actually get, we, we conspired, we conspired a way to like, okay, how can I hang out with my best friend and watch movies with them and find a way to get paid for it? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so not only have we found a way to get paid for it, which is like, you know, I mean, I, I didn't want to lead on with that, but I mean, the fact that we're getting paid to basically hang out and do what one of the my favorite things to do in life is mm -hmm. uh, and 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 then frank frankly also to be mm -hmm. able to do this with my daughter mm -hmm. and for us to all just like hang out and then to make uh like new what i hope to be lifelong acquaintances like mm -hmm. with producer josh yeah josh voice yeah. of god who, who has <laughs> the been, voice of god the voice has, of god who you never hear who has been uh just like fabulous like a thread holding us together and mm -hmm. so um this has been like just uh this has been super special for me. And we've had so many great experiences. I mean, we've had so many great guests. We had Jacqueline on. We had mm. Eli. And my hero, Joe Dante. And Joe Dante. Mm -hmm. We had Joe Dante, which was just mm -hmm. a special experience. Now, as we hopefully move into season two, mm -hmm. what do you guys see the show evolving into? Do you guys see a lot of changes happening? Or do you guys think it's just going to kind of stay the same? Because what I love about this show is that I, I feel like we've entered into a time warp. Mm -hmm. Like, I, from 2023, have gone back in time to, like, 86, 87. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually getting to, like, watch these movies through your eyes. And it's so exciting for me as a film lover to get to hear you guys to talk about it afterwards. And I love that. So I don't want that to change. Well, that won't change. I mean, you know, um, 
we pretty quickly, within two episodes, figured out more or less the format of of this show. And I like it. I I, I love it. I, I love the excuse of having to watch four movies to find three. And <laughs> the yeah. four or five movies to find and, three. And then the <laughs> bonus movie at the end after we've recorded, uh, yeah. where we all go down and watch a movie just for the hell of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, That usually is connected to one of the ones yeah. that we liked. Uh, you know, further our Susan George love. Further our uh, Fernando De Leo yeah. or Sergio Cabucci love. Um I think that is our base. That's what that's our base show or base episodes, and I can see that like you know, uh, um, four years from now, me and Roger are doing some really like significant episodes. You know, those films will exist in a canon talked about by myself and Roger. Yeah. And years from now, people will talk about this movie or that movie, and they go, "Oh well, you know what they said on video archives, well, blah blah blah." You know, Quentin, that's actually already happening. I've mm. actually gotten emails from. Film teachers, mm-hmm. and they're saying, "Hey, I'm about to go teach my students this episode. I'm mm-hmm. about to go. I have a an email from a teacher that said I'm gonna go teach them Slithis." <laughs> and I thought, "What a wonderful thing to go teach your students Slithis." Yes, absolutely. Or spawn of the Slithis. Well, what's great about <laughs> yeah, that? What's right, great about right. that is that for so long, you know, you go to film school or something like that, and they're just showing you the movies that are kind of the expected movies that you're mm-hmm. supposed to see. Yeah, yeah. Out of the you know the mm, the canon, the top of the canon. And uh, and there's very little dipping down and and exposure to things like Slithis. Mm-hmm. Well, because well, well, who would do that? Except there's a lot to be learned from watching yeah, a movie like Slithis, which was made for a meager budget. But it's, even aside from Slithis, I mean, I think there is a situation where it's like after our episode, I did, and I make it a point not to pay that much attention to the reaction of the show. I think it's a better to just imagine that we're just doing it for us and we're in the vacuum and nobody ever hears this. Yeah. <laughs> and there was actually one point where we were uh, like, where I think you even said, well, I would kind of like to just do the show and just not release it. <laughs> just have it just be for us. And I'm so glad that we released it because people everywhere now are getting to hear it. But one of the things that was really kind of cool that actually pierced my consciousness was how many people had never heard of Richard Fleischer's uh, uh, The Last Run and then went out and saw it and they go, wow, what a fantastic 70s crime movie. Yeah, what a fantastic George C. Scott movie. Hennessy a, as yeah, well. Yeah, and Hennessy too. And, and uh, you know, the people's response to that and like people saying like, well, this is like a 70s classic. How come it's not talked about? That, that way. That's one thing is that on this podcast, people have said we pick a lot of obscure movies, mm. movies that people have never heard of or like have never even imagined could be out there. Do you guys have any plans next season on continuing with the obscure movies or do you think you're going to bring in some more heavy hitters that are like really popular that people probably want to hear a little bit of you guys talking about them? Well, to me, it's really easy when it comes to what I eventually curate to more or less go on the air because it's the same criteria I have when I'm uh, when I wrote my book Cinema Speculation. Well, why don't you talk about Sorcerer? Why don't you talk about Apocalypse Now? Why don't you talk you know the yeah, obvious ones? Yeah, you know and a, Jaws, a, a bunch of uh, Jaws. Why don't you talk about Jaws? I have something to say about Jaws. Yeah, you too. love Jaws. Jaws yeah, is yeah. like one of your favorite movies, if not your favorite movie. Yeah, and the thing about it was, it wasn't the idea of cheerleading a bunch of movies that I liked. I only like so much writing or talking about movies that I just absolutely love and adore. Cause I just think that's all just gush at a certain point, unless you have a perspective, unless you have an interesting perspective, unless you have an interesting argument or the, the story of the making of the movie is so interesting. 
what interests me was, okay, here's this time period that I'm going to deal with as far as the book was concerned, 68 to uh, uh, 81. And so what movies did I have something to say about? What movies did I have an argument about? Um, you know, so yeah, I would have loved to have written about Sorcerer. I would have loved to have written about Cruising, but nothing, I didn't have anything I needed to get off my chest, at least not on the page. So consequently, there's a lot of movies we could pick and choose. Again, we haven't done Sorcerer, and that seems like it would be right up our, me and Roger's alley. It's one of our favorite movies, if easily, not our favorite movie. Yeah, easily one of my top three films. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, but I'm more interested in something, one, again, that I haven't seen. <laughs> I'm interested like, in a red-letter title that either I haven't seen or there's something that's worth talking about. You know, our, our super... Tentpole episodes, I guess we could call them yeah. Star 80. Moonraker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Straw Dogs. The ones that were like, you know, mm. one film that were the big movies. Yeah. One, one, one might even say those were the kind of yeah. more obvious. Uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And of course they were. Yes. The movies that we had seen. Those were great. Amazing conversations. Yeah, and, well, and Sorcerer would be a fantastic one for, and the, for the, for the single episode. Would be a great treatment. one. Yeah. But, um, and I've always looked at movies as being kind of the the campfire that mm -hmm. you gather around to trade your myths and traditions mm -hmm. together. And that a lot of it is about community and, and friendship and coming together and dreaming through some collectively mm -hmm. through somebody else's eyes, through the director's eyes. And so first of all, friendship was the number one takeaway I had from this mm -hmm. and uh, more than friendship with you guys. <laughs> like, it's family. <laughs> it's family, family and friends, <laughs> like number one. To, to me, that's what cinema represents. But then after that, it's this kind of discovery. And what really blew me away about this season was how many movies that we saw that were so good that I had never seen before. And we're yeah. going to get into that during the awards show because there is a category for that. For that sure. I'm not going to make any spoilers but even, yet. But, but even just looking at, okay, because we happen to have stacks of the videos in front of us from our different episodes, like broken down into like stacks of the three videos. And you'll be able to see this um, in our Counter Talk newsletter or on our website mm -hmm. because we have taken photos of them. And the thing about it is, I mean, so just looking at them all in front of us, and yeah, we could have picked more famous titles than George C. Scott in Rage, George C. Scott in The Last Run, Elliot Gould and Robert Blake in Busting or The One-Armed Executioner, uh, or a, a Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. But I'm just looking at these titles staring up at me. These are video archive titles. Yeah. This lipstick box, that's a video archive title. Yeah. You know, and they're demanding to be reckoned with as video archive titles. Something that I'd like to do more uh, next season that I think would be really kind of cool is... We kind of got into a certain vibe as far as like the films that we we chose. And the same thing happened at, uh, when I did my QT Fest uh, in uh, Austin, Texas. A certain kind of vibe of the movie started kind of playing out. And like in this vibe, I guess, is, you know, a lot of 70s, 80s, a couple of 90s, a couple of early 60s stuff pop in there. But basically, it's kind of of a certain thing. And part of that was trying to actually pick movies from the drama and comedy section, mm -hmm. which would be where those films would exist because they are the current movies of the time. Anyway. My, in the, in, during the late 80s. Yes, exactly. Yeah, during the, <laughs> during the late 80s. So my point uh, is I would like to have more classic films. 
Yes. Yeah. And, a black and white film, some animation. Yeah, yeah. also, like, yeah. we didn't do an animation this season. I'm crying tears right now for my... Yeah. We did one documentary. We did one. We did do a documentary. And when I say classic films, I'm more talking old movies. I'm not talking about... It doesn't have to be uh, uh, these famous mm-hmm. Criterion film classics. I, you know, uh yeah, yeah I, there's as many cool old movies from yeah, yeah. the 40s, 50s. Well, early... most of my favorite directors and most of my favorite actors are from that era. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, 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 all the movies that we have here on the table right now that we watched this season could easily be replaced by movies from that time period, and we would have just as Absolutely. interesting and eclectic a gathering. But the other thing I would like to add, and this will be more controversial, it might not be as good, but I want us to give it a try two or three times just to test it out to see if it works. Our whole thing is we were like, hey, Video Archives, Video Archives podcast. Our thing is we're listening, we're, we're watching the tapes from the Video Archives collection. Well, that doesn't necessarily have to mean motion picture movie. It can mean- <laughs> That plays from 90 minutes to two hours. It means it was a video store and they had all kinds of videotapes. And any one of the three videotapes that we watched could be of anything like a television show yeah it could be well, concert videos it could absolutely be a television show it, we had we had a great music section you know it could be donna summer live in concert it could be laura Brannigan live could, in concert it could be bones brigade yeah it could be bones brigade you know, <laughs> oh, it, it could dude. be totally committed all yeah, right yeah we could do a totally, committed, movie, totally committed yeah <laughs> uh everything except our porno section all right we would uh, should be uh, open to uh um yeah, including the erotic section. Agreed. But we've been already into the erotic section. Uh, um, but you know, but the video cassette itself—it's like we're we're showing three videos, not necessarily three movies. Yeah, three videos. Now VHS is having its revival. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> a lot of new movies are coming out on tape right now. Would you guys ever consider doing a new movie on the podcast? It's not really our thing. Yeah, it's not our thing. Uh, one, it's about the collection yeah. and the uh, mm-hmm. stuff that we can get. And two, it's like, it's not fair for me to uh, uh, review a movie the way I review these movies here to a, a new movie. Because if I don't like it, then it's like I'm attacking the guy, mm-hmm. the, the guy, whoever. If I don't like it, it's like I'm attacking the filmmaker. Like I literally, like I jumped out of the bushes and hit him on the head with a hammer. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, yeah. E- even some of the filmmakers who are alive today, alive and working today, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was a little close to the bone. And also if they're like, uh, uh, if I like the movie, you know, well, I'm not here to be your cheerleader. <laughs> if your movie's good, you don't need me. Some viewers have asked you guys, would you guys ever talk about your own movies on this podcast? At least the ones that came out. On VHS, I thought about doing a, a true romance. I thought that would be kind of. I thought about. Uh, I thought it would be kind of funny if, if um, one of the episodes we did Killing Zoe and Killing true romance. Zoe, yeah, it's on. Uh, oh, yeah. they're on. They're there. Well, we got we had Reservoir Dogs also, didn't we? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we did. so we could. Do I that. have Rules of Attraction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that's. Yeah. Uh, I have. Lucky you have Rules of Attraction. On, they had it on. Uh, they had. VHS? Yeah, uh, they had it in uh, Eddie Brands. Oh, great! And I have Lucky Day on VHS <laughs> actually. Ah. Oh wow. I know my friend made me a bootleg yeah, of it's it. A bootleg. It's a bootleg, <laughs> it, but it's a very nice. He made a realistic box and everything. It was like uh, I'm very and grateful used, for that. He used an orange Rugrats tape. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that fans really like about this show that I've noticed is that we don't just get on and say how much we like a movie. Mm-hmm. We always are not afraid to point out its faults. We're about to get into our awards show and like basically the creme de la creme, the top of the top. But I have to ask, out of curiosity. Is there a movie on this table that looking back at our season, 
you just don't like? Well, I'll throw one out. And it's not that I just don't like it. It's just that there were two films that I think kind of fell a little below par. And I'm, I'm not sure that that this one movie that I'm about to mention necessarily should have been mm-hmm. um, included. I still enjoyed it because I love Samantha Egger. Uh-huh. It's as simple as that, which mm-hmm. was Welcome to Blood City. And it mm-hmm. also has Jack Palance, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, uh, who I also love. And so it was fun for me to watch, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that that's like this great film. Well, here's the thing about Welcome to Blood City is like uh, uh, um, what you're not remembering is you loved it in the first half. You thought it was the most cleverest premise for something. You the thought first it was half be- is amazing. You thought it was better than Westworld. It is better it, than Westworld it, in the first half. And uh, and then you're just so disappointed by where it ends up going by the end that you do ha- tend to have amnesia about how excited you were about the whole first half of the premise. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But in like a movie like Slithis, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to watch that movie and not see what I saw in yeah. that film or how, how much I love that movie and why I love it. Like mm-hmm. some people are going to watch it and say that is the wonkiest car with wobbly wheels going down well, the freeway. Well, <laughs> like, one of the things I was actually, one of the things I was very uh, um, taken with by seeing some of the response, uh, uh, especially when it comes to that third movie, the people who really dig us. They, you know, we set it up for them. We explain, we explain the parameters in which we appreciated it. We explain the parameters in which we are enthusiastic about it. And they see it inside of those parameters and then they respond in kind. People see Cry For Me Billy in the way it's supposed to be seen. They see Rene Carduna Jr. in the way he's supposed to be seen. Now, when Quentin puts together the three movies, he always tries to stay away from a theme. We only had... Technically two, one themed episode this season, mm. which was our American Giallo with Eli Roth. Going forward, one, one sanctioned theme episode. One yeah. sanctioned theme. <laughs> yeah, themes pop up all the time, but yeah, going there in, was some unsanctioned work going on. Yeah, that, that was <laughs> going into season two. Do you have any plans on including themed episodes? I would like to see a Ken Russell uh, tribute. Yeah, I would like to see that too, and uh, and that can happen in any way. Yeah. possible. No, no, but, no. I, but I think you and I have discussed it and we know a movie yeah, we, that would be our, our we, kind of... We need to have Mahler in there. We need to have Valentino the devils, in there. Probably yeah. And, so, yeah. Now, our last question before we get to awards. Quentin Roger, I want you guys to name me one movie that you would love to watch next season. Well, I can name one. Okay, go ahead. I'd like to watch Gillian uh, Armstrong's uh, Starstruck. Oh, okay, cool. Actually, I th- you know... Uh, all the Pantheon ones that you were pushing for got aired this, except for that one. <laughs> uh, there's a few more. Oh, no, there's a few more. There's a few more. But but the ones that I would think of as Pantheon that I could write on a wall. I had one Pantheon movie in the entire schedule. You had three, <laughs> if not four. <laughs> so, Quentin, what movie would you like to watch next season? One I want to watch, because one, I'd like to watch it with you guys. I'd like to hear what you have to say. And I also have something to say about it, and I think it'd be an interesting way to have a conversation, is uh, I'm a a James Bridges fan, the writer-director James Bridges. And he did a movie called uh, September 30, uh, 1955, with Richard Thomas, that I'd like to watch uh, on one of the the upcoming episodes. Thank you both for chatting with me. I'll see you inside the store for our awards show. Now for a brief word from our sponsors that make these awards possible.
Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. Aloha! Come on down to Big Kahuna Burger to try our Slithis special. A quarter pounder patty with jalapenos, our signature cheese sauce, and grilled onions. Enjoyed on an Irish potato bun. Have a little darling with you? Try a kid's version. Spawn the Slithis, complete with a toy. No meat, no problem. Sub out any burger for our house-made veggie patty for no extra charge. We're open late. Drive through till midnight. Mmm, that's one tasty burger. Big Kahuna Burger! And we're back. Thank you to all of our wonderful sponsors for making this awards show possible. Tonight, Quentin, Roger, and I will be handing out awards for 26 categories, and the listeners spoke and decided their very own listener's choice for movie and discussion. Quentin asked us to rank our top three of each category anonymously, and now we'll share them with each other. Our voice of God, Josh, is tallying up the awards as we announce them to see which movie reigns supreme overall. Stick around until the end to find out. Every movie covered on season one is eligible for awards besides those covered in Expert Du Jour segments. And now for the awards. The category is Best Special Effects. What makes an effect special? Is it when you forget that you aren't really in space? When a gorgeous miniature brings a tear to your eye? Or perhaps when you jump off the couch and yell out in glee when a demonic hand appears on the screen. No matter what the case, special effects are what make movies, well, special. Listen now as the group picks their specialist of special effects. Um, my number three pick is going to go to Robert A. Burns for Demonoid. Oh, okay. And But I am also giving it to Chubby Cordero, who did the visual effects, mm-hmm. and Ken Horn, who did the special makeup. I think those three really came together Absolutely. to give us the Demonoid Messenger of Death. My number two pick goes to the special effects team for Moonraker. <laughs> I can't help well, it. Well, the one that had the biggest budget, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I looked it up, and it was a really big team. I couldn't like pick yeah. out one name because they were just in alphabetical order. That's how big it was. Um, I love the fight in the end. I think it's a great special effects moment. And then my number one goes to the special effects team for Dark Star, which was led by Ron Cobb. Good choices, all. I uh, my number three. I have to say, I had an honorable mention. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Gala mentioned it. It was uh, um, Demonoid, okay. Robert Burns, and Alfredo Zacharias mm-hmm. for Demonoid. Mm-hmm. It's tr- truly spectacular work. There's like, uh, but um, no question. But my number three is actually I'm giving it to Roger Evans for the Jet Benny Show. Okay, Woo! yay. Because uh, that's mat work uh, done on Super 8. Mm-hmm. That's freaking difficult to do. Yeah. <laughs> I know how difficult it is to do. And so props to Roger Evans. Um, my uh, number two is Kaimaiaizo, Fuji Tsuburaya, mm-hmm. and Ishiro Honda for Rodan. Rodan. Which is, even now, just such a beautiful... 
effects driven movie. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just it's a great monster movie. And my last one, I'm in a complete accord with Gala, is uh, Dan O'Bannon and Ron Cobb for mm-hmm. Dark Star. Yes. Another handmade film. So I think for me, mm-hmm. handmade effects won. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, handmade effects did get the <laughs> did get the uh, three, two, and one spot. Yes. Uh, my three, two, and one spot would be number three, Demonoid. Yes. Uh, oh, by if, if I was going to have an honorable mention, my honorable mention would be split between the Jet Benny Show and Piranha. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but my number three officially is Demonoid. Uh, my number two is Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter and Rob Cobb's effects yes! work on Dark Star. Bless you, Quentin. And my number one is Nsero Honda's work on Rodan. Yes. Okay, awesome. so we're you all guys, pretty, yeah, pretty yeah, close yeah. there. We're, we're all kind of in the same pot. But it, yeah. that's good. I'm yeah. feeling good about it. Like, I, like I'm loving all of it. <laughs> the category is Best Editing. A movie is made in editing. Unique to cinema, the editor plays the role of the hands of the director. Riding the moviola, they come to a cranking halt and pick exactly which frame to cut on, putting their entire body and soul into it. They finish the product, bringing all of the components together. Through them, the director's vision is achieved. Tonight, the Video Archive's employees honor these editors. Quentin begins with his picks. Number three... I have the fast kill. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. The high sequence. Yeah. Number two, the whole damn movie, but yeah. especially the high sequence. Number two, Hennessy. <laughs> movie dependent on its editing. <laughs> if any movie here is dependent on its editing, it's Hennessy. And number one, absolutely. The the one that takes its inspiration from both Russ Meyer and uh, Eisenstein Joe Dante's magnificent work on Piranha. Go, Joe. My number three goes to Bill Kimberlin for American Nitro. Oh, I always think that a documentary is built in editing, and so I think Bill did a really good job. Oh, that's true. Very good. That's a good- Oh, very well done. Yeah, exactly. Good choice. And he really only had two days to work with, because the thing was only two days long. Did a really great job. (laughs) Um, My number two goes to Jerry Greenberg for Dress to Kill. Mm -hmm. I think the editing builds great tension, and yeah- and then my number one, Hal Ashby for The Loved One. I love it. The yeah. editing, when I watched it at the New Beverly Quentin, I mm-hmm. actually saw even more real change splits oh, because wow. I was actually oh, yeah. able to see it. And he is just masterful. <laughs> Best editing, uh, number three, Eric Boyd Perkins for Hennessy. Hey. And you're absolutely right, Quentin. The the tension that is built and the pacing that mm-hmm. keeps that movie driving forward uh, it, it, it's spectacular. It is. It really is. So Eric Boyd Perkins, um, number three. Part of part of the reason the movie's uh, rewatchable is number, because of the edit. Yeah, absolutely. Number two would be Hal Ashby and Brian <laughs> Smedley Aston for the loved one. Uh, again, for the you've heard me talk enough about every house favorite. The yeah, <laughs> you've heard me talk a lot about the the real changes in yes. that film, and Gala just mentioned it, and I just uh, I've learned a lot about editing from that movie. The so. real changes are E E L, and then also the real changes <laughs> are E A L. It's the changes that we feel along yeah. the way. And then my number one is Joe Dante and Mark Goldblatt yeah. for Piranha. Yay! Which the editorial tour de force. It is the tour an, de force. It truly, the, uh... it truly is. It's you mentioned Eisenstein. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. it is. It, it's he's absolutely using Eisenstein, and he's also leaning into Podovkin. Mm-hmm. 
I consider Dress to Kill, and if it had been a Paul Hirsch movie, I might, it might have very well. It would have, it would have had to be, yeah, in the best yeah, setting. But since it wasn't a it Paul, Hirsch, it would have forced your hand. Since it wasn't a Paul Hirsch one, all right, I was able to uh, steer away from the show. The category is best production design. Production design is what transports you from here to there. It is what allows you to travel to the future or to the past. From the newspapers that a character reads all the way to the sets they stand upon, the production designer brings a vision to life. Without them, we would not believe the magic on the screen. Roger starts us off. Uh, number three. Vasevolod Ultko and Tamara Vasilkovlskaya for Amphibian Man. Ooh, good choice. Mm. Which has, I think, some of the most beautiful Pixar-like imagery. And for a live-action film, it's yeah. just a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. I consider that. My uh, <laughs> second mm-hmm. choice, my number two choice, is Alexandra Trauner for The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Mm. My number one is to the indomitable John Box for Rollerball <laughs> and The Keep. <laughs> Together, he, we, I mean, I, we don't really do together ones. But it's not together. Really I was giving it to him for Rollerball. I know you but are. I also am seriously impressed by that village in mm. the Keep. It, yeah, it, yeah. That village lives in my mind. I could actually even I could be fine giving it to him for the Keep. I just think Rollerball is yeah, yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. on in every level as it's far what, as uh, design goes. No, but it's like, like Frank <laughs> J. Cohen Camper, who Victor J. Kemper. We have to make a choice. That's true. <laughs> so this is a John Box award for <laughs> yeah, me. Okay. So for best production design, my number three goes to Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the sets in it, but there was no production designer mentioned. So I'm going to give it to the art director, George B. Chan. Mm-hmm. My number two, Piranha. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, no production designer mentioned either. So I'm going to give it to the art directors, Bill and Carrie Millen. Um, because I love that Joe Dante was just taking newspaper <laughs> articles about people getting eaten and bitten by rattlesnakes and putting them and in the background. Boy eaten alive by wild dogs. Yeah. Like things like that. Like Man bit by rattlesnakes. Yeah. And those were not made by them. They were just real and on the sand. I love that. <laughs> That's the very best kind of production design. And my number one for production design goes to Dan the Man O'Bannon for Dark Star. No, wow. Did That's it himself. You know what? You're wow. right. You're That's right. A good one. I should have remembered Dan. Okay. I had one written down here. I had it crossed out because I was sure you were going to say it. So I was like, oh, okay, well, it'll get mentioned and it'll be fine. And it's not really my kind of pick anyway. So then I wrote one next to it. So the one that I wrote next to it was Straw Dogs, which I was going to give for third for production design. But initially I had Moonraker written down. Because Ken Adams, like, well, of course Roger's going to choose that, all right? And when you didn't choose Ken Adams, <laughs> you were shocked. And then, like, I forced your hand. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, I I should have remembered my primary deity. You guys, we just heard a video archives first. Quentin giving Moonraker an award. That, yeah, I know. Funny. I am well, but he gave it the right award. and probably the only award that will come from quentin to moonraker i never argued this point okay so okay so no straw dogs yes ken adams moonraker that's a wise that's a wise choice number three number two uh sunny and jed Mm. yeah and number one actually along with moonraker uh the 
the movie that we talked the most about the production design when we did the episode is Alice Sweet Alice. Yeah. It yeah, has, it has good right. production design. It was the production design that sold it, that turns it into this weird period piece that they do in Long Island. Yeah. Great picks, Quentin. Thank yeah, you. Really good picks, especially that Moonraker one. <laughs> <laughs> the category is Best Cinematography. Ending the day with a sunburn on the back of their neck, the cinematographer is the man behind the camera. An audience feels each cinematographer's unique style, even when they do not know it. They bring their doorway dollies, their paintbrushes to the shadows, and their cinematic language to the screen. With just a frame, we can tell a story. Whether it's Technicolor, Eastman, or black and white, we honor these cinematographers that bring their magic to the screen. Best cinematography, my number three, goes to Earl Rath for Busting. Mm-hmm. Didn't really like the movie that much, but man, that Dory Dolly sequence. It's some energetic uh, movement. That is amazing. My number two, Haskell Wexler for The Loved One. Yeah. Painting on the shadows on the ground. Yep. <laughs> and my number one goes to Ralph D. Bode for Dress to Kill. Oh, wow. Split screen, split diopter. Oh, I love it. Uh, Jessica Kill is getting more love from Gala at the year-end episode I, than she on the actual episode. When, yeah. I, when I wrote my thing, I was like, Quentin's going to be like, no eyes of Laura Miles? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so best cinematography, number three. I agree with Gala. Earl Roth, busting. And in absentia, Peter Himes as well. <laughs> number two. Sven Nevskist for The Last Run. It's excellent work. And number three would be Luis Corrado for Sonny and Jed. For yeah. your number oh, one spot. Yeah. He almost got my number three, but then mm. I remembered, I'm just going to jump right yeah, into mine. Uh, best cinematography. My number three is Jean Rabier for Dirty Hands. Okay. It was a good one. Uh, this movie looked ahead of its time in slickness. I have a nice look version of a Dirty Hands award of mine deeper down. <laughs> <laughs> but it talks, it's all about the look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, my number two is Eduard Rozovsky for Amphibian Man. Mm. Again, like, and maybe it's uh, too much for Amphibian Man uh, to give <laughs> it both production design and cinematography, yeah. but uh, I felt it deserved it. The movie. Now, are you only basing it off of the uh, the Sinister Cinema video we watch, or have you watched it now? No, with the I'm color? actually actually. I'm trusting, I haven't watched it in color. I'm uh, trusting that it looks better, but it looked so good yeah, no, no, in I, the version that we saw. No arguments I for me. It, I think that says something about how much you can degrade that movie and how beautiful it can still be. Well, But uh, I have heard that it is even mm, more beautiful yeah. than- It is really beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, oddly enough, you know, we talked about Insert Honda in the last episode, but one of the things that's really interesting about uh, his work is on one hand, Yes, when you see an IB Technicolor print of Mothra or Rodin, it's like, your eyes just explode. The color is so great. One of the things that's also really interesting is if you look at black and white reduxes of the same movies, they look kind of amazing wow. in black and white. They look like uh, like Rodin, the inky black and white of uh, the TV dupe of uh, Rodin. It looks like a newspaper. It looks like a tabloid. The whole damn thing looks like a tabloid. And that's its own, that almost replaces the color. Well, you know, what's interesting about IB Technicolor mm. is it's three black and white strips. Yeah, yeah uh -huh. And so there might, it might be easier to yeah, uh -huh. make, to strike a black and white. Uh, yeah, well, it doesn't, yeah, it print. doesn't, no, it doesn't just look gray. It, it looks like the National Enquirer come to life. My number one 
Gala, I'm super proud of you. Haskell Wexler for The Loved One. All right. His black and white cinematography uh, in that film mm -hmm. and and what I learned from uh, listening to him talk mm -hmm. about his work on that movie yeah. and what he was able to do with shadow, for mm -hmm. example, by painting shadows on on lawns. An old von Sternbergian trick. Yeah, an old <laughs> an old trick for sure. Yeah, but a good but trick. A, but a good trick. A great, effective, a great trick. An a great effective trick. trick, yeah. The category is Best Screenplay. What would a movie be without a script? A reality TV show, that's what. Perhaps the hardest working people, as evident by them having some of the shortest lifespans of crew members, the writer puts pen to paper and weaves a wild story. They pull magic from the ether. Their ideas are what we yearn for. There is plot and there is story. And a great screenplay is full of story. It is what brings us back time after time, again and again. Roger lets us know his decision. Best screenplay. This was actually a really insanely difficult one for me. And I went around and around and around and around. And I thought about all aspects of what makes I a screenplay great. I had five great. that could easily have made my top three. My number three is Elaine May for Mikey and Nikki. Oh, wow. Good deal. You know, I went and I looked at the screenplay mm -hmm. and then I thought about how the synergy going on between mm -hmm. writer, director and actors in that film is super unique and um, and is almost unfair to pit it against anything else. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it's spectacular. Mm. It's spectacular writing and she's writing from life. And um, and I think it, it makes for just this terrific character driven film between these two excellent guys. Number two, I had to give it. I had to, I was forced to, to give it to Patty Chayefsky for the hospital, mm -hmm. a Kraken, Kraken screenplay. <laughs> and my number one, I'm giving to Brian De Palma for Dress to Kill, uh, for lines like, you know, I'll you know, leave you to play with your Peter and, yeah. uh, this computer carries <laughs> and, uh, a kind of brilliant thematic writing going on, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from a guy who's, uh, clearly sees the movie he wants to make burning inside of his head oh that's well said i just was blown well, away by the aside from the writing. Like, aside from schrader aside from schrader and mullius it's the best script written by a movie brat who doesn't identify himself as a writer mm -hmm. so screenplay number three would be billy wilder and ial mm -hmm. diamonds for their screenplay of the private life of sherlock holmes yeah it's a fine choice number two would be Scotsman Alan Sharp. <laughs> yes. For the last run. Yeah. And number one, with my interpretation as a given, <laughs> Patty Chayefsky's The Hospital. So I like that we're all giving it to Patty Chayefsky for The Hospital, but in different places. Quentin's <laughs> giving it number one, Roger gave it number two, and I'm giving it to my third spot. Mm -hmm. So number three for me is Patty Chayefsky, The Hospital, with Quentin's interpretation. <laughs> My number two is going to go to Lee Chapman for Steel. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, it's, it's a really good script. It's yeah, really, right on. It's a really good script. I love I've it. actually done some research on Lee Chapman since Roger. Uh, uh, talking, I can't believe all the stuff you talked about. You didn't mention Dirty Mary Crazy Larry. I've had a Dirty Mary well, Crazy thought, Larry poster thought, in the we, office. I thought we did talk about it. We, we did, did we not talk, talk about it. Maybe we talked about that downstairs. And uh, we talked about it downstairs. Yeah, that maybe. must have been it. I uh, sorry about but that. But there's one there. in the but there's a Dirty Mary Crazy Larry insert in the bathroom of our office in there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been seeing it for nine years. Yeah, I love. That. I see her name, Lee, Lee Chapman. Yeah, I love that script. And then my number one spot is going to Terry Southern and Christopher Isherwood for the Loved One. Wow. 
All right. I think it's a fantastic adaptation. And also one of the things that when we did the episode, um, we talked about John Gilgood and all of his amazing dialogue and lines. Mm. And so, yes. sir. Gilgood. Well, definitely the most literary name dropping of the winners, <laughs> Isherwood and Southern. Golden, uh, the flashing limbs of golden lads and lasses, all gone now as chimney sweeps must come to dust. See, that's how good the script is, that Roger's now quoting it. <laughs> yes, that's true. And the category is Best Supporting Actor. They may not be in the lead, but these men brought power to the screen. Robust, interesting characters, they stood out from the crowd sometimes even more so than the actors that they supported. In this category, we honor the actors that captivated us, despite being second billed. Okay, so now for Best Supporting Actor, my honorable mention would be Tom Selleck. (laughs) Coma. Either the Roger interpretation or the non-Roger interpretation. Well, All right, that's if uh, your interpretation of the hospital is correct, then my interpretation <laughs> of Tom Selleck is correct. Not necessarily. <laughs> they they are not built on the same foundation. But okay, number three, best supporting actor, Robert Weber yes. in the Choir Boys. I got you by the balls. I'm the- squeezing. <laughs> Because I got you by the balls and I'm squeezing. Oh, Robert Weber is awesome. <laughs> Number- I actually, you know what? I, I, I'm confessing right now. I forgot about Robert Weber. How great he was. I didn't well, think if you, quite- wanna, if you want to add it at the last fail, don't, just, don't let me no, stop no, you. I'm, I'm locked in on mine. I'm going to give him my honorable. I'm going to okay. give him my honorable. Go ahead, Quinn. Number two, Yul Brenner, Light at the Edge of the World. And I will say, if I was going to rub anything in, all right, to my co-host, <laughs> is on that episode, even with Jacqueline here, even though she seemed to like it a little bit more, I was pretty much like, it seemed like I was the only guy that like appreciated that movie. And I was kind of surprised to see uh, some of the different things that people like really like Light at the Edge of the World. <laughs> I liked Light at the Edge of the World. I did not like Light at the Edge no, of you, the World. You actively disliked it. <laughs> and I still do. Sorry. <laughs> I, I I I've got you going through my head every time I think about that movie. I hear you like uh, lamenting about the death of Yul Brenner. You're like Yul Brenner. They killed his shine. <laughs> I hear you saying that in my head. It's bizarre. So Yul Brenner, number two, and number one. There was things that came close, but nothing that dethroned this one. And it was right from the very beginning. It's how we started the show off. Number one has got to be Jack Palance, mm. Cocaine Cowboys. That was the first performance that we raved about. That was the first one that we saw when we hadn't seen the movie. We watched it. He's oh, my great. God, he's amazing in this. He becomes the very first video archive superstar because of his performance in that movie. The MVPs. Yeah. So, okay, yeah, so... Good, uh, good choice, baby. Robert Weber. Baby. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, you got it, baby. <laughs> My number three spot goes to Keith Gordon as Peter Miller in Dress to Kill. Oh, that's a great choice. Yes. Yes. I love Keith Gordon, both as a director. This and- has got to be suspicious. How <laughs> Dress to Kill is winning the year end from Gala. It's okay. <laughs> I had seen Dress to Kill before we did the episode, and I hadn't seen Eyes of Laura Mars. So, like, when you first see something, you're like, wow, it's really great. And then you give it a little bit of time. God, I, like, I'm so tempted to change my... No, you're locked in. I know I'm locked in. I'm locked in. But I'm so tempted because I. you're right. Keith Gordon. Keith I'm... Gordon. Oh, I can't believe you didn't... Keith- 
Gordon's like my childhood like hero, uh, hero in that movie. My number two, Rod Steiger as Mr. <laughs> as Mr. Joy Boy in mm, The Loved One. Yes. Okay. And my number one goes to Paul Bartel as Mr. Dumont mm. in Piranha. Yes. Mm. You know what? He does have this amazing thing that he does in that movie where he is kind of goofy Paul Bartel and you're laughing and having fun with oh, him. Yeah. And then suddenly he gives that one look when he's kneeling at that chewed up child. With their chubby little fingers and her chubby little toes. And his, like, it's so, the, the loss that he's feeling is so deep and terrible for him. It's great. It's yeah. a great moment. And that's why he wins my number one spot. Yeah. Very well done, Gala. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> See, this is the real award is getting a well done for my dad. Well done. My number three, and I think this is just because, um, uh, maybe it's just because I just recently saw this film, but I've been thinking about him and he's so funny in the movie and he's so great. It's James Olsen <laughs> in Manhunter. I, I have no problem. <laughs> James Olsen is, I I considered him. I considered him. All right. I considered, I, I thought, is it too new? Is it too new? <laughs> playing playing the, the second fiddle yeah. character who is just frustrated and just, he is so funny. He elevates that entire movie. He is he great. James Olsen uh, was a discovery for me. Absolutely. Uh, my number two is Dennis Franz. <laughs> in Dress to Kill. Okay, yeah. It's not Keith Gordon. It's whoa, J- Dennis Franz. I'm going to go uptown. You tell, yeah, down. you tell Jim from uh, out of town to get downtown. You tell, and, <laughs> you tell Jim from out of town, he better get in town and, and downtown, downtown and swear out a statement as to what he saw. <laughs> His sleazy New York cop <laughs> popping Wrigley's gum into his mouth. And it's like and shitty brown leather jacket his, that he's about to go out in clubbing or something. <laughs> yeah. And he's uh, like kind of like looking Nancy Allen up and down. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. Miss Blake, <laughs> am I too crude for you? Oh, I'm sorry. Have I offended you? <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much. So Dennis Franz. Okay. My number one, uh, it has to go to Rod Steiger as Dr. Joy Boy and the loved one. Okay. I don't think there's any surprise there from anybody. Oh, yeah. I guess it's Dr. Joy Boy, not Mr. Joy Boy. Well, he was Mr. before he became a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) The category is Best Supporting Actress. These women, these girls, brought light to the screen. Thanks to their support, our main actresses were able to shine. Sometimes these ladies even outshone them. Like diamonds and rare gemstones, we covet these characters. Brave performances and some iconic roles, we honor the ladies that stood apart from the rest. Okay, Best Supporting Actress. This this one was a really tough category for me, but not because of the plethora of the supporting actresses. <laughs> There's not a lot of... It, it, it took me a while to come up with three, and then I started coming up with more. That's what happened to me, but... <laughs> My number three spot goes to Shannon Collins as Susie Grogan in Piranha. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Oh, the little girl? The little girl, his Mm -hmm. daughter. Mm -hmm. My number two goes to Krista Erickson as Cinder in Little Darlings. Oh, yeah. Which one was she? That, is that She's the little the girl? Little, the little the, bitch. Oh, uh, <laughs> little bitchy one. Oh, the bitchy one. The, the Rosanna Arquette lookalike? Yeah, I okay, think yeah, she okay, did such okay, a great yeah, job okay. as like the, the foil. <laughs> and then my number one spot goes to Marielle Hemingway as Kathy McCormick in Lipstick. Wow. Yes, I did give it to all three child actors, but that's just how the cookie crumbled. Yeah, that's how it is. They're supporting. Okay, my number three 
is to Alexa Kennan as Dana in Little Darlings. She was the tough friend, like the agent who's oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. worrying and oh, smoking I cigarettes. She's like her, to start yeah. her own sitcom. Yeah, yeah, she really like her. is such a wonderful bright light in that movie mm-hmm. and she's so good and she's so funny and she's supporting the, mm-hmm. the other actresses in the film. Absolutely. Uh, my number two goes to Angie Dickinson in Dress to Kill. Right on. It, it was brave of yeah. her to do that. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely brave. And definitely the most iconic role, I think, absolutely. of the, the supporting actresses. Absolutely. And um, and I hope this counts, and I think it does. Uh, my number one is to Susan Sarandon as Mary Beth. I think it is going to be your, your number one. Yeah, yeah, as Mary Beth in The Great Waldo Pepper. Her performance is, I think... Uh, delightful, goofy, fun, and then so tragic that I cry every time I see it. And so thank you, Susan Sarandon, for Mary Beth in The Great Waldo Pepper. Absolutely. My favorite character in that that script. Okay, so everyone's my- favorite character. <laughs> everyone's favorite. In fact, she's so good that when she dies, she you lose, lose all she, in, you lose all the interest. Movie, in the, the movie, movie. fails. <laughs> just, you lose interest. Not to me, but yeah. <laughs> at the box <laughs> office. <laughs> So best supporting actress. Okay, my honorable mention would go to Susan Sarandon. All right. Um and my sub honorable mention would go to <laughs> Pam. Oh <laughs> yeah, Pam. American oh, Night yeah. Show. Pam Pam was on my list for a while. All right. So she absolutely gets a shout out. She uh, as she should. As as well she should. Uh my number 3 is Mariel Hemingway. Yeah. In Lipstick. My number two. That is a brave, brave performance. Is Angie Dickinson in Dress to Kill, the most iconic performance. But when it came down to me choosing my number one, I decided to go with the most ferocious performance that I saw by a supporting actress. And that would be Mildred Clinton, who was the killer in Alice Sweet Alice. Right. Yeah. You know what? Good. Good. And we just revealed who the killer was finally. Yeah, it finally. Took us, but it, took it, took us a, that long. it took us this long. <laughs> by now, you should have seen it. <laughs> yeah. Now, for a brief word from our sponsors that make these awards possible. I arrive at dawn even when the gulls are asleep, wax my board and step into liquid. The sun rises and it's a glassy morning, an inch or swell, it's totally tubular. And when I'm done, my tan body covered in the salt of the Great Pacific... I'll grab breakfast at the spot that made Dogtown famous. You know I'm talking about teriyaki donut. A full two wavo breakfast, kamikaze style, never tasted so fond than at the donut. Bottomless coffees for a half dime. Try Chan's egg donut to go if you've got to make waves. It's next set time. So come on down to teriyaki donut on the corner of Brooks and Pacific. Breakfast never tasted so decline. Red Apple cigarettes aren't just for cowboys. Now, with a slimmer roll and a cleaner filter, ladies, too, can enjoy themselves a Red Apple cigarette. With a stylish new box design that fits conveniently in your purse, they're perfect for the modern woman on the go. For a limited time, buy a pack of Red Apple cigarettes and be entered to win a limited edition lighter. Better drag, more flavor, less throat burn. That's the Red Apple way. So go ahead, try my brand of cigarettes. You just might like it. The category is Best Actress. These women gave it their all 
they left everything out on the screen. These leading ladies touched our hearts with their powerful performances. From comedy to horror, they left an impression on us that has lasted the entire season. Listen in as we pick our favorite female performances of season one. My number three. Best actress. Best actress. Mm has to go to Lois Childs as Dr. <laughs> Holly Goodhead in Moonraker, <laughs> a.k.a. the woman that I want to be. Aww. All of these women I want to be. You just, you're just waiting for your James to show up. I'm just up. waiting for my taking around the world one more time, James. That's all I'm waiting for. My number two goes to Nancy Allen as Liz Blake in Dress to yes. Kill. Because I, too, want to be as cool as Nancy Allen is in Dress <laughs> to Kill. I want to be as cool as Nancy Allen is in general. Yeah. And then my number one should come as no surprise, Christy McNichol as Angel in Little Darlings. Great choice. Um, my favorite, probably my favorite performance. Mm. Um, I'm actually going to start crying right now just thinking about <laughs> it when she's like, you saw right through me. Mm-hmm. And I saw that movie at like a really good time to see that movie. Man, she's so good. So mm. that's that's why. Christy McNichol wins Best Actress for me. Roger. Okay, I just want to say, first of all, I did not put Nancy Allen down, but boy, I love Nancy Allen. And I'm so <laughs> glad you chose Nancy Allen. I'm just, I'm happy that you did that. However, you chose Christian yeah, McNichol. And... Dress to Kill seems strangely overrepresented by Galen. <laughs> Criminally underrepresented yeah, by and, you. And Moonraker is overrepresented by you. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Uh, Christy McNichol as Angel in Little Darlings. She's uh, my number three choice. Yeah, okay. Um, you don't have to be Gala's age or, or a female <laughs> yeah. to really be touched by Christy McNichol in this film. She's yeah. amazing That's in this movie. That's why she's that good. And and it was a revelation to me because I had always kind of thought, you know, I don't know, I never really thought of her as mm-hmm. the big actress in mm-hmm. Little Darlings. I mm-hmm. always thought, well, it's, it must be Tatum O'Neill because she's mm-hmm. an illustrious actress. Not that Chris McNichol isn't, but when I saw Little Darlings again, I realized, wow, she's the force behind this movie. Mm-hmm. Her transformation is incredible in the film. My number two is Samantha Egger mm-hmm. as Jennifer Baines in Demonoid. Yeah. She <laughs> running around in this movie in her high heels, <laughs> terrified by hands jumping out at her yeah, yeah. and pulling it all off with a straight face is just... She's a class act. You are right. You are, you are, you are right. Samantha Egger is a class act. And I didn't include her in this. I include her in something else that's in that same vein, but you make me ashamed that I didn't include her in this. My number one, mm-hmm. it's Susan George, man. <laughs> it's Susan George for her one-two punch. Okay, but which one, though? You got to well, choose. Well, I'm it. giving it to her for Sonny and Jed, but okay. uh, but coming off of Straw Dogs and doing yeah, Sonny yeah, and Jed yeah. right on. is like... Uh, I, I think in some ways Sonny and Jed had to have been informed or oh, well, it's growing out of I the other agree. one. And so I just think she's in such a great place in these two films and that it really comes together and makes Sonny and Jed like I mean, her little bits playing like no, I could, a like, dirty child, basically, yeah. in Sonny and Jed is amazing. No, my she's best actress great. could have been number three, Susan George, Sonny and Jed. Number two, Susan George. <laughs> I, I could I, yeah, did, I didn't you do that. Done it. But you could have done it. I could have, like, with a good conscience yeah. done it. All right, uh, so my best actress. And now I'm feeling that this is, like, too low. Uh, I almost wish I'd switch it out with uh, number two. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Number three is Nancy Allen, Dress to Kill. Ooh, and that's good. even me acknowledging, and actually that's me acknowledging she's, she's one of the most iconic roles in cinema, you know, yeah. Of this whole list. Yeah. 
Number two, Susan George, Straw Dogs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And number one, Chris McNichol, oh, Little yeah. Darlings. All right. <laughs> yeah, Christy. Right on. Christy McNichol. The category is Best Actor. A category jam-packed with powerful punches and endless choices, how are we to decide the best actor of this season? Through these roughly 70 movies, we've seen everything from powder kegs with explosive performances to hilarious characters with memorable lines. Sometimes, we've even seen the same actor play vastly different roles. How are we to choose? The best actor will be the one who fights his way to the top, knocking out the competition. Let's figure out who won the battle. So now for best actor. Here we go. Uh, For me, number three is Peter Falk, Mm. Mikey and Nikki. If you remember in the episode, I actually chose John Cassavetes, but now after a whole year thinking about it, uh, to me, number three, Peter Falk. The, the difficulties that he's balancing yeah, yeah. And, and and between the dynamic of those two characters where one is naturally kind of a larger, mm-hmm. more showboaty role. And mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, I, I absolutely am down with that. Yeah, he's, yeah, no. He's it, great. Number two would be Rod Steiger, the illustrated man. Mm. Yes. Him. I don't even care that much about the stories inside of it, but just him as the illustrated man, just. Boom. Yeah, he likes it hot. Yeah, he likes it hot. Bum likes it. He's just like me. He's a bum who likes it hot. He's a bum who likes it hot. <laughs> uh, and then, number one, there was no other performance that knocked me and Roger out in quite the way that George C. Scott did in the hospital. That's just, It was like one of the, like, wow, is this one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life? <laughs> He was, uh, he know, was obviously, in- he has the material to do it, but he's got the material, he's got the director, and he's got the showcase, and he's got the power to do it. He's great. In it. He's yeah, yeah. he's full on George C. Scott, 100%. Mm-hmm. He makes the hospital what it is. I mean, the uh, hospital the, is like a stage play, yeah, yeah. and he's the star of the stage play. Yeah, no, the hospital without George C. Scott, what the fuck would that even yeah, be? Yeah, I'm not even sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number three is George C. Scott for Rage. Ah, oh, right on. I, he, he was- He's directing- He's acting as good and as good as he is. And he's like, he became one of our, yeah, yeah, yeah. like one right. of our guys. Like There was a time that it was for me, uh, Scott, Stagger, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> With Rage being the oh, third and, one. And I was juggling between Last Run and uh, and mm-hmm. Rage. But then mm-hmm. I thought, you know, he's directing. Yeah, yeah. At the same time in Rage. Mm-hmm. He's so George C. Scott. He's so <laughs> like a volcano about to explode in that it's, movie. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the cover of the tape, you guys. That's what Quentin's holding up yeah. and shaking right yeah. now. Uh, my number two, Eric Roberts for Paul Snyder in Star 80. Okay, well done. Well done. Cannot be denied. Cannot. That is one of the um, greatest performances of that decade. Mm-hmm. And Eric Roberts is, he challenged himself in a way by, yeah. t- by taking that part and then Take and going with it, and he makes a, an absolutely sympathetic character out of somebody who really shouldn't be sympathetic. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> so that, and that's believe me, that's a juggling act. Mm. And <laughs> number one, number one, number one, number Rod one, number Steiger one. for Hennessy. Ah, Rod Steiger for Hennessy. <laughs> there were plenty of Rod Steiger performances <laughs> to choose from throughout this. Uh, you know, and uh, and I thought about Illustrated Man long yeah. and hard, mm-hmm. but then I just thought about how he carried Hennessy from beginning to end mm-hmm. and how he took us all the way through it. 
it, it's it's another rage filled you know <laughs> <laughs> another rage filled character no i mean literally the best double feature that we didn't do would be is rage and hennessy i mean yeah. as if like they should have like a uh, a citywide run all right they should have one of these yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe at the new beverly yeah, yeah, maybe exactly. at the new yeah. beverly okay so for me my number three pick. I'm going to keep it up with the keeping at least one George C. Scott and one Rod Steiger on the list. <laughs> maybe, we'll say. Maybe no. Not. Oh. Naturally. 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 But, but of course, I do have Rod Steiger as Hennessy in Hennessy oh, as okay. my number three spot. Oh, okay. Because okay, I okay. think that okay. it was a tight performance and I love how he goes in makeup and mm. everything. My number two goes to Eric Roberts as Paul Snyder in Star well, 80. Mm, all right. A greasy performance mm-hmm. that yeah. has stuck with me. And my number one spot goes to Nino Manfredi as Michelle Abanago oh. in Cafe Express. Good choice. Cafe Express, yeah. Very, very good choice. Unlike you guys, I, I, if I remember correctly, you guys watched the dub version. Yes, we did. And I watched the version with subtitles. Mm-hmm. So I got his full acting and I loved it. And weirdly enough, that's like, one of the performances that just stuck with me this entire season it was really early in our season, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's funny. The screenplay is what stuck me and it was very, very close to getting uh, like onto really? my screenplay list. I thought about that script a lot. Oh, that's interesting. And, um, and I thought about the kind of artful maneuver that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that is going on. I was surprised that Waldo Pepper didn't get on your screenplay list. I, I thought about it. I thought about it. But then I kind of thought about uh, how he, the, the writer himself was sort of trashing his own work. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to give it to him. The category is Best Director. For this category, Quentin lets us know the criteria. So uh, the next two awards that will take us out of our uh, individual achievement area is Best Director, Best Film. I threw down a gauntlet to make us choose different movies, that any film uh, on the list of the three for best director cannot be for best film. And this is like a normal thing at film festivals, right? Yeah, it'll happen a lot. It'll happen a lot of film festivals where they, they uh, you know, sometimes depending on the film festival, best director is sort of like the second best prize, you know? Uh, but uh, uh, well, it's not like a film festival because on a film festival, no, the best prize is the one you win, the yeah, golden, it's the, it's the big award, the, the gold, whatever. Yeah, whatever. You know, this is almost the opposite of that. Look, if it is the filmmaking itself that you're responding to, that's the one you give to best director. Now, where me and Roger are coming from is we're directors. So naturally, we think the best film is going to be the best directed film, <laughs> the one that cinematically works the most. Well, that's yeah. the best film. In fact, I had forgotten your caveat, even yeah, yeah, though you yeah. told me like 20 times yeah, yeah. as I was making my list, I, I yeah. got really into it and uh, I suddenly realized, well, my best director and my best films are, it's all kind of blended together. Yeah. Well, that's the idea is to break and that up. And then you broke it up. Yeah. You broke it up. Now, where I was coming from is best film. And, uh, and this wasn't a mass hypnosis. I was kind of letting you guys decide. Um, it's like, yeah, okay, if you're going to, go by the criterion list or something, well, then Mikey and Nikki would be on here or whatever the deal is. I was like, no, 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 no. We're video archives. We have, we're creating our own classics. We like everything that we like, but we're doing our own thing. We're creating our own classics. And so I decided that best film for me would be the best video archives movie. And like, okay, well, what is that? And I was like, okay, so that's a movie that I enjoyed watching with your father. So, so we watched it and we enjoyed watching it together. We had a great time watching it. Then 
we went and talked about it and we had a great time talking about it. We had a really, really great discussion. And then not only that, I enjoyed listening to it back. Mm. When it was on the show, I was like, oh, wow, that was really cool. Yeah, so that's what I decided to be for my best film <laughs> compared to the best director. Is that clear, everybody? <laughs> it's good. Everybody at home is saying yes. Okay. Makes perfect sense to me. Okay, cool. So that was the criteria going on. So uh, I'll start best director. Okay, so number three, when it comes to best director, I think I have, uh, even though I could have, Peter Himes could have made this list. Actually, Lindsay Shontoff could have made this list, but uh, Richard Flesher could have made this list. Uh, but I starting off number three, Sam Peckinpah and Straw Dogs. That's my third spot. My second spot is Sergio Corbucci for Sonny and Jed. And my first number one spot is Brian De Palma for the only bonafide true classic that we showed <laughs> during the whole fed, the true new Hollywood movie brat directed classic <laughs> during the entire season. Dress to kill. <laughs> you want to go, go, go next? Yeah, go next. Yeah, go gala. So my number three. Go, go gala. In, <laughs> in accordance with Quentin, I am going for Sam Peckinpah with Straw Dogs. Good choice. My number two spot. Does not go to eyes and Laura Mars. <laughs> <laughs> <Irv> Kirshner <laughs> pulls it out. He pulls it. Out. No, actually, what Irving Kirshner did by capturing uh, fashion okay, wait, 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 in that movie it's, was not, really good. I, but it's not going to happen. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like nothing. No slag on Irving Kirshner. No, no I'm, I'm actually I'm slagging on myself because in that episode I voted for Irv Kirshner. But right now I'm voting for Brian De Palma. Okay, number two for number two. Number two. And number one goes to Mr. Joe Dante for Piranha. Oh, nice. Joe <laughs> got my vote. And he like he like gerrymandered that thing hard. He was like, he was lobbying. When I did the Q&A with him at the <laughs> new, Be when I did the Q&A with him at the New Beverly, he told me a story that when they filled up the pool mm -hmm. and did all the underwater shots, that they actually created like a new kind of bacteria <laughs> and it was eating away at the pool and they had to get like disease control to come in and like destroy the bacteria. And I just love it. Ca it causes Danteitis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Roger, I'm literally sitting here on the edge of my seat well, waiting for your You're going to be really happy, I think. Uh -huh. uh, my number three is to uh, Sergio Corbucci for Sonny and Jed, the great Sergio Corbucci. This is my favorite film of his. Thank you, Quentin, for oh. introducing me to Sonny and Jed. This, uh, what an experience watching the movie. What an experience to watch it with you. And to, for me to see a new Corbucci film and to have it be a Corbucci comedy and for me to love it so much that I actually like it more than The Great Silence. Okay, that's a pretty big uh, um, order to fill. Yeah, and you, and you filled absolutely. it, man. Thank you. My number two is Sam Peckinpah for Straw Dogs. Mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, it, he could easily have been number one. He could easily have been number three, but he's number two. <laughs> and my number one goes to Brian De Palma for Dress to Kill. Yeah. Oh, Dress to Kill is really sweeping right now. <laughs> well, I mean, when you think about what a director does, mm -hmm. he's doing what a director does. Yeah. <laughs> he is uh, yeah. he is bringing his vision. We are looking through De Palma's eyes. He might have one eye he borrowed from another director, but 
<laughs> but we're still looking through the eyes. But we're that still he's looking. Holding. Yeah, yeah, we're still, still looking through the, them. his process of it. Uh, yeah. through the uh, eyes. Of and and the and and another thing I want to say is that um, watching that movie again. Uh, you know, with you and Eli, yeah, yeah, we yeah. all thought it was going to just yeah. be like, "Hey, we we know we love this movie. Mm-hmm. Are, should we even watch it? No, it should was, we spend the time? We literally, to do it? it's the only time that we thought, ah, maybe we could just skip watching this one. You know, we know it so well. And then we did it, and not only was I making discoveries I had never seen before in the mm-hmm. film, uh, but we had a blast, freaking blast. It was one of the best uh, it, uh, viewings I've ever had of the movie. It was so entertaining. Yeah. And now, for the moment that you've all been waiting for. Out of each and every movie this season, which one was the best? The category is Best Film. Best Film was uh, was difficult for me. And I'm not sure that I went by the same criteria as you. What criteria did you go by when you were deciding your best film? Well, I started thinking about what is the most important film for people to see today. Ah, what is one of my favorite films by one of my favorite directors, et cetera, et cetera. Like these were all the things that were going through my head. <laughs> Sounds like you went pretty heavy with it. Well, and as we say at Video Archives, hey, go only go the home. best is bestest enough. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was a Roger Moore and a Mission of Monte Carlo, a.k.a. Persuaders, Persuaders episode. Yeah. Only the best is bestest enough. He's playing a German, uh, a German art dealer or something. And as my father used to say, only the best is bestest enough. <laughs> and so I'm going to give my number three to Dark Star. Okay. Part of it is, and, and this really was watching it with you. Uh-huh. Because I'm not sure you cared that much about dark star. I think you knew of it and you thought yeah, yeah, yeah. it was this thing and you, and you were giving it to me as you were throwing me like a, you yeah. were you're doing me a solid by <laughs> early on showing dark star. In yeah, fact, yeah. like on our, was our episode. First episode. very first movie and then watching it and then hearing you talk about it and mm-hmm. how, how much you loved it, how mm-hmm. much you appreciated Dan O'Bannon mm-hmm. and the great discussion that we had yeah. about the movie. Dark Star, uh, to me, it was one of the best viewings I had. It it set the tone of what we were doing. It made me realize, wow, we're going to be able to do this and, oh, wow, and talk deal. about stuff. And so I really, really I had a blast watching that movie. Enjoyed my Dark Star experience. And also, I just think that you know, you know, everyone knows by now how much I love handmade, yeah, 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 almost flawed work. Mm-hmm. You know, I prefer it to be a little rough at the edges and not perfect. <laughs> right. And Dark Star is absolutely that. Okay, my number two, uh, and this was chosen mostly because of me and because of um, when I think about this film and I think about it and I've ta- and as I've talked about it with my wife and as we talked about it together, um, you know, I, I would start describing the moment of tragedy in this film and how it affected me and how irreversible it is and the death of, uh, of his friend and what Waldo goes through. Mm-hmm affects me so deeply and i have such a deep connection to this film that i had to include it on my best film list it's oh, the great yeah. waldo pepper by the great george roy hill right. who easily could have gone on my best director list because i, I was th- halfway expecting him to he was originally on there and i had to make a choice and i chose that mm. I, I would place it under best film because mm-hmm. uh to me it's an unsung mm-hmm. masterpiece yes and I actually like this movie more than mm. I like his other films, mm-hmm. partly because I love the flying in the film, partly because I love the um, the melancholic feeling of the movie. Mm. I love that the movie throws away its audience mm-hmm. <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> yeah, it's brave enough to go there mm-hmm. and to and and to show Waldo's tragedy. 
as opposed and, to Susan Sarandon sitting in a pond waving, yeah, and, and, and shaking her fist at the man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has. I have a very deep connection with this film because mm-hmm. I have a very deep connection to the tragedies that I've experienced within my life. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, that that make you who you are, and take you away from who you want to be, and that you are not. You are not defined by the good or bad that happens to you in life. Mm-hmm. I feel like what this movie says is that um, you're defined by how you react to the good and the bad that happens in life. Mm-hmm. And so and so this movie is an important film for me, and I wanted to include it on Best Film. Uh, you also read the screenplay, didn't you? I did. I read the screenplay uh, in book form. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great... It's I, I've never read... I, I, like, I didn't realize that the novelization mm-hmm. of the screenplay was written the way it was. Mm-hmm. Which you, know, it's, you said it has a weird f- uh, format. It's a it's it's a screenplay format, but it's also a not like he he novelized the screenplay. It's almost yeah, like uh-huh. a good blend between oh, well, the two. Uh-huh. And so uh, and so I you know I I just love the movie all around, and I would love to see this movie get even more attention. Uh, my last film, uh, because I feel like I'm living inside of this world today, is uh, Norman Jewison's Rollerball. For mm-hmm. me, is my number one, mm-hmm. uh, my favorite film uh, of the bunch that we've watched mm-hmm. here. Uh, I think Rollerball has the key within it of everything that's wrong in the world today. Yeah, uh-huh. and how we're meant, uh, at least according to Norman Jewison, and according <laughs> to the hero's journey, how we're meant to resist and go against mm-hmm. uh, all that's wrong in the world. And uh, and for that reason, I've chosen Rollerball. Okay, so for my best films, I thought about it like what movie stuck with me and what conversations that I really enjoy having and listening to. But my number three, for all the reasons that Roger just mentioned, goes to Rollerball. Oh. Because when I'm sitting and I'm talking to people my age and younger than me and they're talking about like, oh, hey, I'm just going to use AI art or hey, I'm just going to use chat GPT to write my essay. Hey, I'm just going to (laughs) rely on the internet. And that's everything that exists today is on the internet. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Go watch Rollerball and figure out why you shouldn't do that. (laughs) My number two movie goes to The Loved One. Because the first time I ever saw it, I didn't understand it. (laughs) Yeah, you could not understand what they were saying. It's like, oh, yeah, roll that. Yeah, 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 roll that. Like their their English accents were beyond Gala's comprehension level. (laughs) It's actually true. And through doing this podcast, I've gained a new appreciation and a new understanding, actually, with actually with Rollerball as well, of my dad. So with Rollerball and the loved one, I've understood my father yeah, better. Because you were not a big Rollerball fan. I was not a big Rollerball until fan. Until I started talking about it like crazy. Yeah, actually, I to be honest, before doing the podcast, I didn't really like Rollerball that much. And I didn't really like the loved one that much. And by doing this podcast, I have a new appreciation for both of these movies and understand my dad way better through them. So thank you. And that is why for number one, it's Moonraker. (laughs) Which would actually be a movie that I would have pushed on him, but no, it's not Moonraker. It's It's not not Moonraker. It's not Moonraker. Uh, Well, now you're going off script. It's an honorable mention. mention. Quentin is shocked right now. And it's not Little Darlings either. Okay. I'm giving it to Cafe Express. Oh, wow. Because oh, l- late in the game. Yeah. This, this is a movie. Dark Horse. Yeah. This is the movie that I can't stop thinking about. The moment when he's being interrogated by the police officer after everything, 
and he has his wooden hand and he's smashing it against the table. It's such an explosive performance that when I look at all my VHS tapes on the shelf, Mm -hmm. that's the tape I always pull out and I look at it. Mm -hmm. And I think, huh, that was really something. And that is a movie I would have never have seen if it weren't for this podcast and if it weren't for Quentin. So thank you, Quentin. But anyway, that's my three. Cafe Express, The Loved One, and Rollerball. Cool. Okay. My three, and I gave my uh, criteria of what counts as uh, a video archives classic. Number three, after jockeying around and whatever, uh, number three, I have uh, Demonoid. Yay! That was on my like short list. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Demonoid was on my list. Yeah, Demonoid's number three. Uh, <laughs> uh, number two, and again, I just think, you know, uh, uh, it's a video archives classic. I think uh, number two is Hennessy. Yeah. 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 And we had such a great time. Yeah, watching we that had movie. such a great time. We had such a great discussion. It was, you know, Rod Steiger, he got a lot of love from you guys yeah. for the best actor. Uh, and number one, and when I look at these boxes, the one that I actually think that's not set up from beforehand, that just kind of dominated and became, I think, a video archives classic that I didn't, I wasn't pushing that going in is Rage. Right on. Rage is number, I think that's, to me, awesome. that was the video archives movie of the, uh, uh, the, wow. the, the people probably weren't aware of. Directed by George C. Scott. Directed by George C. Scott. Awesome Starring sauce. George C. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and a movie that really is like I'm so happy you I mean, chose his second Rage. best performance right, yeah. of the of the show. <laughs> and and you know how I mean obviously you know that's one of the reasons you've chosen it. Like how yeah, yeah, excited yeah. Uh, I was yeah. by watching it. Like that this is a movie that speaks to every paranoid cell of my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were like, uh, hey, is this a Roger movie? Go, oh, it's either the best Roger movie or the worst Roger movie. <laughs> I'll let you know when it's all over. <laughs> Before we get into our last commercial break of the season, I asked our listeners on Twitter and Instagram to vote for their favorite film of season one. To present the category of viewer's choice favorite film, here's Roger. And the award for listener's choice favorite film with 16.6% of the vote by a very narrow margin is Dress to Kill. Oh my God, Dress to Kill. That's great. And now, a word from our lovely sponsors. Realism is for every man, woman, and child on the planet, because for real times are cause for a for real perspective. If you're curious about discovery, prepare for expansion and an uplifting future through For Realism. Listen now to the voice of the founder of For Realism, Dr. Ernst V. Willmaker. I am the mind eye of this world we call our end. Want meet for realism? So take your first step and join for realism now. Learn the secrets to expanding your dreams beyond anything you ever dreamt possible. It's about life and being real. For realism now. Every 
Nothing quite compares with the taste of old Chattanooga. Brewed by Americans in Tennessee, we take pride in our family recipe that has been passed down for generations. Support yourself a pint of Southern hospitality and enjoy an old Chattanooga. Old Chattanooga. 21 and over, please drink responsibly. And we're back. Before we get into the rest of the awards from Quentin and Roger, I've asked our listeners on Twitter and Instagram to vote for their favorite discussion of season one. To present the category of viewer's choice, favorite discussion, here's Roger. And the award for listener's choice, favorite discussion, with 16.9% of the vote goes to... Star 80! And now, for the remaining awards... The category is Discovery of the Season. Out of all of the movies we saw this year, many of them were first watches. Some of these movies were classics that we had missed during their initial run. Others were foreign genre titles that surpassed expectations. And a select few were total WTFs that were picked based on title and box art alone. Listen in as we discuss our favorite discoveries of season one. I had a lot of discoveries this season because I had not seen most of these movies. And these were a lot of first-time watches for me. But my number three spot, Coma. Mm. I saw Coma maybe three or four times this past season. Yeah, you really vibed on Coma. I really. And you know what? Did you watch the miniseries? No, I did not, actually. But I've just seen the movie four times. (laughs) (laughs) She saw the movie as if it were a (laughs) miniseries. She took the movie and drew it out to the length of a miniseries. And even though I think that the hospital is probably the better of the procedural doctor mystery murders that we have watched on this show, I like Coma better. Mm. Okay, my number two spot goes to Steel. I liked it so much that I made Quentin actually put it on the show. (laughs) (laughs) I lobbied hard for that movie. Yeah, that was kind of one of our, um, after we've recorded shows, that we go down and we watch. Yeah, we actually, we watched that No, I just just got in a brand new print of it. Yeah, we watched it on 35mm on Mm -hmm. Quentin's print, and Mm -hmm. I loved it so much that I was like, we should talk about this, we should talk about it, and Quentin's like, well, it's not in the archives. And so I loved it so much that I went out and I sourced two tapes. Mm Mm-hmm. To commit one to the archives. Yes. So, so that we it's could. A, it's now part of. So it's uh, now part of the archives. Yes. So. And we could do it. And then, of course, my number one best discovery this season is Little Darlings. Mm. Because. Yeah, that movie touched you really It touched deeply. me really deeply in a spot that I, like a, a tender, vulnerable spot that I did not know even existed inside of myself. Anyway, those are my discoveries. You had the opposite feeling with the choir boys. You know what? I have a repulsion from that movie. Yeah. That and the light at the edge of the world. Hey, Sorry. Hey, you know what? Jump. <laughs> Do it. Jump. Okay, got your big audience yeah. going on here. Got everybody stopping with the doing. Oh, look at me. Look at me. <laughs> Why don't you just go and do it and jump? Some waste of my time. <laughs> I think this lady has some things to think about. Let's just let her just have a good long thing. Jump! I got some things to do. <laughs> so for me, like, yeah, so, yeah, best discovery is a film that I haven't seen. And I've seen a lot of the films that we played here, but I went out of my way 
to watch stuff that I hadn't seen. And I think the three best examples of that, uh, and I could put a few things down, but I, uh, number three, The Jet Benny Show. Yeah. Yes. Number two, One-Arm Executioner. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bobby A. Suarez's One-Arm Executioner. And number one, Lindsay Shantoff's The Fast Kill. Yeah. Wow. Great choices. And there's a Venn diagram where ours kind of touch. Mm. Because my number three of uh, Best Discovery this year was um, Roger Evans, the director of yeah. The Jet Benny Show. Oh, and it's really right. The Jet Benny Show. Yeah. Uh-huh. But um, it turns out that years ago, I saw um, this online. Mm. Uh, somebody had taken the opening credit sequence for Johnny Quest mm-hmm. and transformed it into uh, like stop motion animation. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Into like 3D animation. And um, I saw it and I was like, wow, that is fantastic. I, like, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then time goes by and we watched the Jet Benny show and I had my reaction to the Jet Benny yeah. show and then discovered that uh, Roger Evans was out there. And then next thing I know, I just discovered this last week, he was the guy who did that. Uh, um, and so this is a guy who's wow. after my own heart. Absolutely. Not only, not only that, he's there in Texas to this day and he's got a little company that I think they make and uh, and distribute film scanners, 35 mm-hmm. millimeter, 16 millimeter, eight millimeter film scanners. So I'm like, okay, this guy's my hero. <laughs> yeah. He's fighting the good fight. He's fighting the good fight. He's mm-hmm. uh, he's uh, uh, a man after my own heart. And so uh, to Roger Evans, who is out there, you're my best discovery of this, uh, Your third of best? this season. My third best discovery of this season. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So <laughs> you just kind of backhanded shit. compliment. <laughs> you can't say best unless it's number one. Well, he's my third best. Uh, he's sorry, the, My Roger. bronze level <laughs> discovery. I'm like making it worse as I go. I'm just going to stop. I love you, Roger Evans. I, okay. I love him too. Okay, my... Um, Second discovery this year, I, I have Joe Dante to thank mm-hmm. for, and that's Servando Gonzalez mm-hmm. and The Fool Killer. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this director, Servando Gonzalez, I hadn't personally heard of him before, yeah. and so to be exposed to you know to somebody who's this uh, great genius, and and to have Joe Dante mm-hmm. uh, be the one to um, to expose me mm-hmm. to it, to expose us to it. Wow, that was that was exciting for yeah. me. That was great. That's. Uh, um, a, a director whose work I'm going to keep consuming. Did you see one of the, his Spanish language movies? Uh, yes, uh, Scapulario. Yeah, Scapulario. Which was uh, one Scapular. of yeah, which was one of my discoveries for yeah, remember, yeah. the Pearson podcast. Yeah. Not only did I uh, did I see it, I'm ripping it off actively. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, my number one, <laughs> my number one, my true love is my wife, but my number one discovery is Samantha Egger. Mm. The actress of Demonoid yes. and and Demonoid in general, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. just like the just the greatest thing to have. I I think when we were watching that, yeah. I was hooting and laughing and uh-huh. squealing uh-huh. like just a pig in shit. <laughs> I was so happy watching that film. Yeah, it's it was one of the best. And then watching Sweet. her kind of trying, you know, Samantha Egger, who is you know she's she's British and she's beautiful and she's in like a pencil skirt or something and running around <laughs> in heels and immaculate, uh, you know, kind of clothing and blouses and hats and stuff like this, and just you know watching her like as like <laughs> disembodied hands and stuff come she at her. She gives it all the legitimacy. She is so great in this yeah. that every time a movie came on that Samantha Egger was in, I was like, woohoo! 
yes, yeah. let's go. No, our our love for Samantha Egger, born out of that demonoid screening and discussion, is one of my favorite personality aspects about this whole season. Is is our appreciation of uh, Samantha Egger. And the category is favorite scene. As defined by Noah Webster, a scene is the whole series of actions and events connected and exhibited, or the whole assemblage of objects displayed at one view. These assemblages stood out from the rest and thus became our favorite. Best scene. Okay, let's see here. Okay, my honorable mention, I just kind of wrote this down just right. I just added it at the last minute. It's only an honorable mention. Is the Robert Walden scene in Rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of the creepiest scenes. Yeah. And he just is so terrific in it. It made me reappreciate Robert Walden all over again. He was so good in that scene. It's fantastic. Okay, but now officially getting on to the, the real deal. Uh, number three, I would say Hennessy and the Queen. <laughs> and Hennessy. <laughs> number two, when it comes to, okay, now here is a classic scene, is the museum scene. Mm. And Dress to Kill. Yes. One of the greatest nonverbal scenes. And on the other end of the nonverbal scene is number one, George C. Scott's uh, uh, impetism monologue. Oh, yeah. In the hospital. The hospital. Right on. My number three best scene is training for the heist in Blind Rage. Oh, that's a good one. I liked, I liked every minute of that. Okay, my number two scene, I've been like going back and forth because this movie had so many good moments. The movie is demonoid. (laughs) And I was going to go for the moment that the demon hand protected itself from burning from the fire. But (laughs) by by digging digging itself underground. But I'm going to go for the scene where the hand is at the doctor's office and it's possessed the guy and it's going to chop itself off. Yeah. The the black cop. The black cop. Yeah, yeah. And she's handcuffed and watching and yeah. freaking out. I, I, yeah, I love how she is. Cut it off. What do you need as an season? Don't care. Just cut. Just cut. Just cut. And my number one scene really should have gone to Christy McNichol and that uh, whole thing, but it's going to the other moment in the archives this season uh, that really made me cry. And I was sitting in the New Beverly as we watched it, and I also watched this movie like four times this year. Um, but it's the great Waldo Pepper, Ernst Kessler, and Waldo on the bridge. Okay. And the moment between them where they basically just like they tell the lie and then they well, tell the truth. Actually, and actually you pointed something out to me, which I had never noticed about the movie, which is Ernst Kessler realizes that Waldo just wants to believe the lie. And so then there's a moment where and you see it when he realizes that with Waldo and he just gives him what he needs. And he then, gives him what he wants. And then he, and then he tells him the truth, which and then yeah. I wept. Yeah, and then I wept. And it's such a great moment where in the theater I actually was crying. So and it, and to... it truly is the key to the entire movie. Yeah. That moment. And it was it's such a good moment. So I have to give my best scene <laughs> to that. It is the key to the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> this is the George Ray Hill ologist. <laughs> I am a George Ray Hill apologist. Apologist. Yeah. Uh, I didn't say apologist. I said apologist. He's both. He's both. He's both. I am. Um, I, when needed, he, he very rarely needs he, an apologist. Yes, but when he does, he can call on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So my um, best scenes. Mm. Actually, first I'm going to give an honorable mention to the Paul Thomas Anderson scene in Slithis. <laughs> 
where the guy is driving oh, the girl the, home and yeah. he's like, oh, I guess that makes me the dirty old man. <laughs> like, that scene is so fucking good. Like, I had forgotten about that scene. I'm almost actually. talking myself into bumping one of these other ones, but I'm just going to leave that as an honorable mention because yeah. it's... Oh, it, that's a good scene, man. It's a truly great scene. Uh, and my number three... And in fact, maybe I will pick it because my number three actually was Blind Rage, the rehearsing of the bank robbery. No, no, no keep Blind Blind Rage... The truth of the matter is it deserves it. <laughs> it does. Oh, oh, it yeah, deserves yeah. it because that was not only is it a great idea mm-hmm. that they set up this little set of the bank uh-huh. and the guys are blind, so it doesn't matter. And they just have to go through the motions and you're uh-huh. looking at like a wireframe cool version girl. of the bank. And that cool girl is the one training them. Yeah, and that cool girl is training them and they have that amazing long shot yeah. uh, where he, they just kind of travel through the bank as everything's happening it's that's a great scene that that's the reason to make that movie was that scene <laughs> yes. it's inspired yeah and then when you actually see the robbery you're just like holy shit i mean like you're surprised how invested you are my number two scene is the existential negotiation with a bomb mm. in dark star <laughs> that's a good one that's a good good scene <clears throat> It's one of the most important scenes that I've ever uh. seen in my life, I think. <laughs> and uh, it's funny. It's memorable. You know, D- Dark Star is such a great film. Mm. That is such a great moment. The bomb itself and the, how the bomb talks. Yeah. Radio. You know, like his. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I-, I love everything about that. I love everything about it. Okay, my number one scene, and uh, this should probably come as no surprise, but it's uh, the loved one, Mr. Joy Boy, introducing his mother through the real change uh, okay, that I yeah, love so yeah, much. Yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. I, I have to place that on a on I almost a, picked on that a high scene. Pedestal. I almost picked that. You knew one. I was going to pick it, so I, you yeah. let me. Uh, <laughs> you let me have it. Thank you. Thank you, daughter. The category is best action sequence. Punches, car crashes, demonic possessions, fights, jumps from buildings, violent moments choreographed, chase scenes. There was so much good action this season that action deserved a category of its own. Roger begins with his picks. Best action sequence. Okay, we had so much good action and yeah, you know, this that. season. And uh, you know, as I was making this list it was like wow this is a this is a tough one and there's so many also great action directors yeah uh it, it, this was really like a difficult one to choose but um i went with peter hyams mm-hmm. busting in the los angeles market at night shootout number 3 number uh, that's my number 3 okay that um sequence is a high water mark that people have mm-hmm. been att- imitating mm-hmm. since. It's a great. I shootout. question its low ranking. <laughs> you don't need to convince yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> That's rather low, lowly ranked. Three, yeah, number three. <laughs> What's one and two? I birthday. Well, number two, I'm giving to Rollerball, the opening sequence where they basically explain okay. to the audience okay, how do you play yeah, okay. Rollerball. Yeah, whatever. And it's <laughs> well, a but yeah, okay. That 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 that. This legit. It's a legit That's tough a legit ass scene. It's, it's, choice. It, it's a moment so where, you choose the so you choose the opening game as opposed to the Japanese game I choose the opening game okay actually and partly because it's instructional and, and it's required mm-hmm. so that the audience understands the mechanics of the sport yeah. throughout the rest of the movie well yeah and also well, there is the aspect that yeah, you're never more of a spectator. All right, at a rollerball game than you are at the beginning of the film. Yeah, from that point on, you you can't help but be a little bit more involved dramatically. What's going on? But they 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 go out of their way to make James Con just look like 
just a roller, like any, another any other rollerballer. Yeah, yeah. any other rollerballer. They also make it, 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 it's shot in a kind of naturalistic style. Yeah, yeah. And you really feel the reality of that world mm-hmm. based on I, how, I agree with that. how yeah. Norman Jewison handles it. And it's just impressive. To okay, me. okay, okay. My number one <laughs> best action sequence is uh, the attack on the summer camp children in Piranha. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a good one. <laughs> they're chubby little fingers and they're chubby little toes. Rarely have I squealed and had as much fun watching a movie with Quentin as watching <laughs> all these children screaming and trying to get out of the water as these little fish are just nipping away at them and uh, just taking little bites uh, out of them. That's a great, that, look, that's a great choice. And, that, and, and really culminating to that moment uh, with Paul Bartell. He, he yeah. Paul Bartell helps... To sell the devastating he reality of that a, moment. He he makes it, he stops it being fun and he yes. kind of reminds you, hey man, this is bad enough that the comic relief of the movie is yeah. is weeping. <laughs> this is bad enough that the man with no depth has depth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so well done, Joe Dante. Okay. Look, those are those are all undeniable. Uh Okay, like I, I could have had uh, the one-arm executioner training sequence. Oh, I did. Great. I could have had the uh, the b- blind rage robbery. I could have had the blind rage robbery training sequence. Uh, but w- w- instead, what I made it official is number three: the robbery and the slash getaway from the fast kill. Yeah. There's a lot of fast kill love coming yeah. from you. I, it's a fast, lot of fast kill's kill a great love. movie. A lot of fast kill love coming yeah. from me. I really, I and really, that was a death, and, and it's and it stayed in there. It's really stayed. It's 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 had staying power. That's why it's like doing so well. Well, but, it's such a deft choice to yeah, yeah. to make that exterior commitment yeah, yeah. in that moment. Mm. And and though it's based on budget, he mm. turns it into kind of a stylistic uh, thing. And then that crazy car cha- car drive. Well, see, the thing that gets me, the thing that. Uh, that it's part of my appreciation for fast kills. There's that's something we could have done yeah. for if, like, if we had had $200,000 or $250,000. I don't think we were mature enough to be able to pull that off what he was able to pull off. But if that would have been in our reach, we could yeah. have come close to something like that. If we hadn't, if we, if we didn't fuck it up. Yeah. And we might have very well fucked it up. Yeah. Well, in the economy of the filmmaking and just mm-hmm. how how smart they are about capturing Paris when they really clearly yeah. don't have the money to capture Paris, mm-hmm. but they still do it. And like you said, it's it, it really looks like mm-hmm. a movie I ripped off that I didn't rip off. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> so my number two action scene is the supermarket shootout in Busting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. on. Like one of the great Peter Hyams, one of the great action scenes of the seventies, not by just a, one of the greatest action directors. Yes, exactly. Them. Where he really became who he is. Yeah. All right. And that fantastic like doorway dolly yeah. or wheelchair or whatever they're using to do all that. Yeah, I think a wheelchair by that. That point. amazing yeah. uh, movements. And then my number one is the corn barn scene from uh, Sonny and Jet. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah that, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That crazy. <laughs> like, how did they do that? Yeah, yeah. How did they do that scene? They blinded Telly Savala. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Gala. Okay, my number three best action sequence spot goes to the one-armed executioner. Yes. The scene where they kill his wife and remove his arm. Oh. I think it's a great action sequence and it has so much emotion behind mm. it. My number two spot 
is the ending action in Straw Dogs. Okay. When it then. finally just all explodes. The well, yeah, siege I mean, that at Treacher's Farm. Siege that is Treacher's like farm. one of the, the greatest of all time. Yeah, 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 that yeah. is right a worthy choice. And my number one is the doorway dolly sequence in Busting. Ah, all right. So busting. I got number three and number two and number one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Busting, not my favorite movie for sure. Uh-huh. I could preface it with that. But mm-hmm. that sequence was really amazing action. I got the camera work in that movie. It's yeah. really good. Peter Hyams yeah. is acknowledged. Like that right birth, like I was just say, I, it has nothing to do with action, but that birthday cake sequence in mm-hmm. Busting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cake, yeah. So good. The category is best credit sequence. Don't get to a movie late and be sure not to leave before the lights go up. Sit back in your chair and let the credits roll. How else are you going to know who the best boy was, where the movie was shot, or if it's Eastman or Technicolor? For us lucky ones, we've gotten to see credits of all kinds this season. For this award, we honor the films with the most memorable and creative opening and closing credit sequences. This one was really hard for me. Hmm. But then the more I thought about it, the more memorable credit sequences I could remember. Number three spot goes to, if Roger doesn't have this as his number one, I'm shocked. The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. The opening oh, credit yeah. sequence where they're going through the... Oh, he's giving yeah. me the look, and I know he has it as his number one based on that look. But they're going through all yeah, the memorabilia. That's a good one, yeah. But the reason why that scene is so good is because you only realize how good it is after you finish the movie. Yeah, that is true. All the clues of the movie are there. My number two spot goes to The Great Waldo Pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know if it's a credit sequence, but basically the opening where the little kid is like taking the... No, that actually is a credit sequence. That is a credit sequence. Credit sequence are playing there. Okay, great. So that goes to that scene. Yeah, it just follows the little kid. Waldo's great lie. Because it sells the great lie and then it sells like that this kid is really just working for Mm -hmm. it. And the number one credit sequence of all time, Moonraker. (laughs) Well, it's a Bond film. and so It's a Bond uh, film. It's iconic. I really like the song. And also I'm... I don't like the new Bond openings that mm. they do nowadays. Don't they, they don't do? have the don't... bullet thing, I don't think, oh, they, in No Time to Die. Like, I don't I, think they had it. And they have the bullet thing. Did they have they? the bullet thing? I, in think no... they have the bullet I don't thing. know, but they just. It's not a Bond film if they don't have the bullet thing. <laughs> I don't know. We can check if they have the bullet thing, but I don't think they have the bullet thing. But Moonraker's intro, I love the old style Bond themes where it's all optical. Mm-hmm. I just, I love it. So Moonraker yeah, just gets that the, kind naked, of, the naked, the gymnast, naked women, the naked women, like, like, like floating yeah, around, yeah. and yeah, like man, it gets me happy to watch a Bond movie. Yeah. Okay, Dad, what about you? I know what your number one is, but uh, okay, my number three is Treachery and Greed in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's a that great one. A good one. Like, that okay, was a good one. I know that it's technically, but it's a, it's on a tape. It was one of yeah. our viewings. Yep. It was oh, VHS. Absolutely. It it like under the. The recent definitions provided by Quentin, (laughs) it's allowed. And boy, is that a great sequence. It's like Saul Bass all the way. It's not Saul Bass, but it looks Mm. like Saul Bass. I actually tried Uh to find out who did the credit sequence for it. It's Uh probably just some studio guy, (laughs) animator or something, some title sequence, like title house guy or something. He he did a great job. Man, that iconic image of that gorilla in silhouette, in like lithographic silhouette, holding up his rifle on Uh horseback with that giant sun behind him. Yeah, you're talking me into it. That I, was a good I one. Wonder, I wonder if that's the, because um, I watched the no, TV. It, no, it's the, it, it's it, the exact same. 
It is, but they, you know, but they reworked it enough to add, you know, to make it look like an opening credit sequence because for a movie. Yeah. Honestly, in the TV version, that might be the best part about the TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that great opening? Oh, the, the, the opening it, it is sets great. you up. It makes yeah. you, and then with the music, like all that kind of crazy. Yeah, all the, all the, all the, <laughs> <laughs> no, and the emphasis of the gorillas, uh, the gorillas, the oh. uh, soldiers, arr, yeah, it's, and the rifles. It got me in the mood. Let's yeah. just let's just put it like that. Okay, my number two is actually the private life of Sherlock Holmes. Mm. It's my number two, and you actually even said it while we were watching. You're like, "Oh, this is like a Roger uh, <laughs> yeah. sequence." Like it, right, it, it yeah. was everything that I love in movies. The cinematography is beautiful. The the way that they're opening it, and it's it's almost like like an archaeological discovery into the movie you're about to see. Mm -hmm. And I just love it. It's it's just classic. It's Billy Wilder. What are you going to do? Okay, my number one uh, best credit sequence... It's Cocaine Cowboys. Really? That the uh, the outdoor billboards and having the the credits on the Times Square... Magnatron or whatever uh, that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Megatron, the the giant, the giant board. I thought that was so clever, even though he ripped it off from his own previous film. Which cheapens it a little. It might cheapen it a little. I never look at it the same way again once I saw that. But the reason he ripped it off is because he improved upon it and he made it perfect. And he finally (laughs) did it. And like, look, even, you know, uh, many filmmakers uh, repeat their own ideas again and again and again. And, you know, because they love it so much. (laughs) Well, it's a good idea. (laughs) And it's my, and it was absolutely my favorite credit sequence. And actually, it was because it was one of the first movies we watched. Yeah. I remember when that came on, it was like, wow, I've never seen that yeah, in a movie. Uh-huh. And and you remember, I was like, yeah, oh my yeah, God, yeah, I love yeah. this. No, no, I, no. That was I, what, I almost think that's way, what sold me on him the first time. Yeah. And it may be why I was as inviting to that movie uh, yeah. <laughs> for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Right. Other than Jack Palance. Yeah. Uh, was that opening credit sequence. Uh, yeah. Choir Boys, not oh, best opening credit sequence. <laughs> Actually, that's the one part you liked, right? That was the one part I liked. But you know what? Though? Actually, the, the second part I liked were the ending credits because oh, yeah. it was over. <laughs> no, but you especially really, you, you didn't like them all laughing at the end. No, but I liked that it was over. I liked, I liked it was that over. it was over. Okay. <laughs> What's funny is my- one I, I kind of hated the laughing. One of my end. first films, so a little uh, Super 8 movie I did, The Worm Turns, oh, yeah. I end it the same way. Uh-huh. I mean, I'd never seen The Choir Boys, <laughs> but I end it with someone laughing- <laughs> Because it was like, oh no, and in, and in my you know, Roger yeah, as yeah, a teeny uh-huh. a, angry yeah. teenager filmmaker was like, oh no, this is me laughing at the audience. <laughs> and then I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, I know what it feels like to be the audience <laughs> and being laughed at by the filmmaker. <laughs> so, That's all good. Okay, so so for number three, I'm going to go with uh, Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. A good choice. For number two, I'm going to go with Dress to Kill, the classic. Yeah. You yeah. Know, uh, and that kind of goes into the bathroom scene, I actually yeah. think. I yeah. think that would count. Yeah, I think yeah. it counts. Yeah, I think, I think it counts, counts up until the moment where she comes out of her dream and yeah, she's, yeah, and she's being like hammered by, by her husband. Her husband. Wham, yeah, wham, bam, <laughs> specials. Yeah. And I'm mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Dress to Kill is number two, and I'm happy with that. Uh, and number one, I can't believe that Roger didn't choose it. The keep, the best scene in the fucking movie. Well, yeah. Actually, no, <laughs> it's not that I didn't choose it. It was that I chose these three over it. Uh, okay. It was actually uh, in consideration because 
Um, and I think I even mentioned it earlier when I was talking about John Box, mm-hmm. that opening sequence. Yeah. With and, the, that I mean, arri- that, and the arrival into the village, it looks like well, sorcerer. The, it's, it's the one part that is like completely works yeah. un- unambiguously. It's <laughs> shot by Alex yeah. Thompson, yeah. and uh, who's one of my favorite DPs, and he makes it look like the opening of Sorcerer when those trucks roll in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and then you know how great it. it like, give- I, like we said, it was like you know part of the reason we like the keep back then is just <laughs> because well, it's so obviously ripping off Sorcerer, and just the fact that the movie knows has a good taste to rip off Sorcerer. Yeah. <laughs> Pizza <laughs> has good taste, at least. <laughs> yeah. And then you enter into that beautiful village, and so yeah, the, yeah. The, that credit sequence is great. Although so, I, I think technically, if I'm remembering correctly, the keep it's just like the keep, and that's it. <laughs> that's the opening credit. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I can't remember if there's more credits there, but uh, I think. But there is a credit. Yeah, yeah, there is a credit. The category is best beginning. They say that you have 20 minutes to really grab an audience. These beginnings grabbed us right out of our seats and pulled us straight to the screen. In this category, we honor these openings that prepared us for the journey ahead. So, okay, best beginnings of the film, which I consider to be anything from the first scene to the first 20 minutes almost. Number three, for best beginnings, Jungle Raiders. Mm-hmm. Yes. Number two, best beginnings, The Illustrated Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The best of the beginnings. Sonny and Jed. Opening 10 minutes of Sonny and Jed. Yeah, for sure. Gala. Okay, well, my number three is the setup from the Jet Benny show. Oh! The yeah. opening where they're like back in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, when, yeah. when it's showing the when actual showing Jet Benny show. Yeah, in front of the curtain. Yeah, in front of the, the curtain. Yeah. My number two is the setting up scene in Jungle Raiders. Jungle Raiders. It's so the, good yeah. that we can't talk about it. Yeah, That's you how good it is. Yeah. And then my number one. Does anyone even have to ask? The Bond opening of Moonraker, where they jump out of the plane and Bond and Jaws are in the air fighting each other. Bond and the Asian guy playing Jaws. Okay, but... Movie magic, Quentin. Movie magic. And also suspension of disbelief. (laughs) But that is, I think, one... I think it's arguably the best one of the opening. best openings of any Bond movie I think it's ever. The best Bond and actually, opening. I'm a little, I'm kind of kicking myself right now for not picking, uh, <laughs> not picking. I'm like actually a little distressed now. That yeah, I you should be because it is number one. That is a that is a really good. <laughs> no matter how you feel about the movie, that yeah. falling out of the airplane sequence without a parachute is one of the greatest gags and stunts ever done. Do you have to convince me? If- <laughs> no, I feel you did a whole episode I, I have to convince you. I have to convince you. Okay, Dad, what about you? Okay, so I actually had Rollerball, the game of Rollerball, how the game of Rollerball is played on here. And I, was, and I realized, well, that's kind of double dipping. But that's okay. I mean, the truth is, that is what it is I, the best. Mo- it is the big, you know, it can be that is the best beginning for me. I and I and I would actually struggle between that as my number three slot and the demonoid. The hand is removed at the beginning, which is <laughs> the, the big, setup. The breasts are revealed yeah, and the hand is removed. The breast is revealed. The hand is removed. But I'm going to go with rollerball just because it's mm, yeah. it's out, outstanding. My number two is Haunted Honeymoon. The radio play. Oh, okay. I love the radio play. Yeah, uh-huh. I well, I love Gene Wilder. I could watch Gene Wilder mm-hmm. in anything. And even Sunday Lovers. Even Sunday. Lo- I could watch. Listen, I, <laughs> yeah. Gene Wilder is a very special person in my life. I I mm-hmm. really adore Gene Wilder, and so uh, I can watch him in anything. And he's just so good in that moment, and it sets mm-hmm. up those two characters so well. Yeah, and uh, and so I just love that opening. My number one is what else? 
it is Jungle Raiders. <laughs> number one in, Jungle in their Raiders. Opening, number one. Well, that is that is one. without questioning the best opening of all the movies we saw. <laughs> it's better than Rollerball. It's inventive and smart. It's a twist. It's great. It's like a. It's it's really brilliant. I I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the unironic love for Antonio Margheriti. The most unironic love he's ever received. Well, Margariti should get more attention. You know, the way he blended uh, models and mm. uh, and action and, you know, how he's... Look, normally the effects are rather junky. It just so happens, all right, on these two... Uh, this one <laughs> these that two we movies. Wa- this gonna... one that we watched was, like, exceptionally well done. The category is Best Ending. All good things must come to an end. There is nothing worse than sitting through a fantastic movie only to have it fail you in the last few minutes. It feels like a lover lying to you about who they were the entire time that you were together. You have been cheated. Thankfully, these movies did the opposite. They fulfilled their promises. They told us the truth. They left us nodding our heads and smiling. In this category, we honor those endings that satisfied us to our core. Okay, my best final moments and... Number three is the Great Waldo Pepper, the dogfight between Ernst and Waldo. Right on. Suffice it to say that it's it's a great standoff between two men who love each other mm-hmm. or who love the idea of each other. Yes. <laughs> my well, number two. Well my number two is uh, Rodin, the death of the Rodans. Oh, the wow. phoenix death that's of the Rodans. One. Oh wow, that's a really good one. It's an emotional ending, and it's a vividly beautiful effect that they're creating with all the fake lava and the fire and the Phoenix moment where it rises up and, and screams. It's just, it's no, that makes me want to change mine, but I'm not going to, it makes me want to change it though. It's just know that it's represented. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, my last great final moment, it's the moment where Jonathan scores in rollerball. Oh, okay. Uh, it is, it's from the moment of the end when he's the last one there with those two motorcycles or, yeah, or that one motorcycle. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's just kind of going around alone with all the dead bodies. Yeah, in the, the, um, fiery motorcycle. And, and the audience has become quiet. Yeah. And now you're just there and all you hear is the motorcycle and his skates mm-hmm. and the ball as it rolls around. And then once he just brutally, when the game has just been distilled down to merely violence mm-hmm. and what he must do is just beat the shit out of the guy. And then he comes to the point where he's must kill mm-hmm. and he doesn't. And instead he scores because to him it's, it's about, it's not a game mm-hmm. without the scoring. And yeah, what they're yeah, saying yeah. is it's not about the scoring. It's about the violence. That's mm-hmm. what people want. And so Jonathan makes uh, a choice that I think is one of the greatest choices a human being can make. And that's in complete and total defiance mm-hmm. to the authority that, uh, or the agency that's been taken away from him. And that's to score and to shove it to the man who's literally right there next to the goal box. <laughs> Jonathan. Okay. Best ending. Okay. I, I, I sold B. Okay, but my number third final moment, the final moment of any of these George C. Scott movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely. It, it just, it, you know, his final moment is. His final moment may as well be a Rodan screaming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, in flames. <laughs> he is the, and falling into lava. <laughs> this is, this is the human equivalent of the Rodan screaming yeah, and, in flames. And Quentin is holding up the rage. The rage uh, box. Again, VHS. he holds up the rage box and he shakes it. <laughs> he shakes it. For, a, for effect. <laughs> 
for these purposes, I will choose the the final moment of George C. Scott in the last run. Good choice. Mm-hmm. On the beach alone. Then uh, my second favorite final moment is uh, the final moment of uh, Dress to Kill. Yeah. A classic final moment. The the maybe one of the most chilling <laughs> yeah. moments. Mm. And Nancy Ellen's so good in it. Yeah. Oh. And then to me, the final moment of all the movies that we watched, frankly. And it's all about the final moment. And that is the final moment on Peter Fox's face at the end of yeah. Mikey and Nikki. It's a devastating. Mm. And, and, logical <laughs> ending as well mm. so i just want to i'm just looking at lipstick right now and i just want to say lipstick has a pretty fucking nah, great ending. Pretty i'm just going to give that a quick honorable yeah, mention the, that deserves an honorable mention as a right. revenge the, of the, the one part that actually 100 works yeah. is the <laughs> end moment <laughs> okay okay number three is the final reveal in operation nam oh, oh yeah that was a shocking twist or shocking take on the ending that I wasn't expecting and completely changed how I had evaluated the movie prior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. You mean this? You mean the surprise before the surprise before the yeah, a, a tag I, on surprises? Like yes. <laughs> okay. There's like a series of like four surprises. I'm talking about starting at the first one because it's like the last like fifteen minutes. Get, they all get more cynical. Yeah, we, we can call it the cynical wrap up. <laughs> the cynical wrap up of Vietnam. Uh, my number two has to go to Moonraker. Take me around the world one more time, James. Because I love the thing about a Bond movie is it has to end with sex on a boat. All the classic Bond movies do. And Moonraker, they're in space. And so it ends with sex on the, on the space boat, basically. But I love that they're on the phone and, and they all see what's going yeah, yeah. on. And then she just turns it off and she doesn't care. Just take me around the world one more time. Yeah. Such a great ending for me. And actually, if you ask me, the best anti-gravity effects in the whole film yeah. are on that scene. Yeah. With her hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's beautiful in that moment. She's beautiful in every yeah. moment. <laughs> she's, Lois Childs. She's Lois Childs. And number one, Rollerball. Jonathan. 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 I can't describe it any better than my dad did, so yeah, that's that's that. One of the most unique parts about our podcast is that we watch entirely on VHS. The next three categories honor the art of video. The category is best video box. You're browsing the video store. They don't have any more copies of Die Hard in stock. You stumble through the aisles, desperate for a movie to pop on for the night. What? What's that over there? An amazing video box catches your eye. Its shape, its size, its color. It calls to you. You pull it off the shelf and hold it in your hands, feeling the weight of the tape. You see the box art, the cool title treatment, and in a second, you're sold. In this category, we honor these awesome boxes. One thing I love about doing this podcast is that I have gotten to experience now the wonder that is the VHS box. <laughs> there are so many cool boxes. There are so many cool companies. Uh, I hate clamshells, like the big plastic clamshells, so I'll just put that out there. Number three, Moonraker. I don't know what the heck is up with this box. It's like you can pull it out. It's like a tray. It's a tray, it's a, yeah, tray it's box. A, it's a shelf. It's a, it's a shelf. It's called a shelf. It's a shelf. Okay, <laughs> it's well, a shelf. I love it. Like a, like a dresser drawer. It's, it's, be okay, it's beautiful. <laughs> it looks great on my shelf. Yeah. I love how it pulls out. I love the cover art. It's some of my favorite art. 
And then number two has to go to Jungle Raiders. The Jungle Raiders? I don't, I don't have here the boxes under there in that stack. Yeah, here. Right here. That box is awesome. Yeah, with, I, the, with the fake distressed poster the, look. But also yeah, yeah, look, yeah. when you open it, uh, it's just so beautiful. Yeah, it actually has with like a tray. With the MGM UA imprinting yeah, on well, it. Uh, look, I love all the MGM boxes that, in that oh, regard. Oh, it's yeah. so beautiful. And I love it. Like the, It looks like a ripped up poster. It's gorgeous. Oh, you're right. We don't really have any of the, those old MGM boxes in our normal shows. And my number one best video box, my copy of Dirty Hands. <laughs> that I drew. That yes. my dad drew for me. And I asked him, hey, dad, would you just like draw on this? Didn't expect him to do this. I have a full back of the box. I have a spine. I have Rod Steiger in someone's dirty hand. I love it. This is my most prized tape, my most prized possession. It is like a $1 tape. Yeah, when I drew it, it's, it's actually Rod Steiger actually is... The dirty hand. So he is like an illustrated man. It's, it's like yeah. a hand with a. It's basically like a hand man. holding its own face. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is my most prized possession. My one dollar art house production French promotional tape. And the back of it reads. You read it, Dad. Sometimes dot dot dot, and there's a little hand drawn picture yeah. of. Uh, Steiger there with it, his little uh, cap on his right, little yeah. fisherman's cap and. Sometimes you have to get your hands dirty. Claude Chabral presents Raj Steiger and Rumi Schneider in a sexually charged thriller. When Lewis finds himself a cuckold to his beautiful wife's young lover, Jeff, no one will emerge without blood on their hands. Color 1975. And this is this VHS tape is from Art House Productions. Yes. Whose logo is little hand. <laughs> anyway, it's my most prized possession, so it wins my number one vote. Excellent. Those are good choices. Okay, Roger, what are your boxes? Okay, so my number I three. Produce them as you talk. Yeah, my number three is also uh, Moonraker. Oh, okay. Uh, you know what? It's uh, part of it is the tray. Uh huh. You know, the, the, the shelf. The, the, the shelf, the pull out tray. But also, the Bond posters are something special yes. on, on their own. And I just love the. The painting on the front and how crazy it is and all the no, stuff that's I, going I, on. I, I, it's a lovely box. I, I, I just it's a love great, it. It's a it's it's a very very funny, very good illustration. <laughs> I, would, I, I will give you that. My, my problem with Moonraker has nothing to do with the video box. Uh, of course, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to judge it by the video box is to judge it favorably. <laughs> uh, my second one is Dark Star, the clamshell ah. box for Dark Star. This one, it's a little like heat damaged or something it's like the, the yeah my copy is a little but uh i i wanted to pick one that had like kind of a, a poster that was like a little wild and I, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. i just love it it's like this is one that just jumps off the shelf for me i this is a movie i want to see well said and then the last one yeah yeah number oh, number one my number one is demonoid yeah and that's just because the demonoid poster is yes. i think the best poster yeah. okay well uh, look at that yeah i was trying to look, look at do the proper one yeah, because okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. we have i was imagining this so one i have yeah two... it was a media it was the media entertainment yeah, yeah, yeah. box yeah. was the yeah. one i was thinking exactly, yeah because roger has the media entertainment one which is the one that quentin has from the archives it was definitely not the video treasures <laughs> yeah. the video and treasure. then i have a video treasures box and i have a japanese copy Ooh, that japanese copy is kind of cool show that to quentin Oh. Cost me like hundred and twenty dollars. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> That's really. Cool. It was what I replaced. Yeah, so it would be a toss-up with... between the Japanese but, version and the and the media. But no, I, media, I, I think the media, the media still wins. I'm going to stick with the media. Yeah, yeah. But man, look at that. Look at that poster. With the... I, like I said, no, that's the that's the one. If I could have the original artwork, I want the original artwork from Demonoid. Yeah, and so 
That's my number one. That's Alrighty. the one I love. Uh, for my number three, I choose the Warner Brothers video of Dress to Kill. I love this cover of Dress to Kill. I always have. Yeah. And it's and it's the green box, right? Are there different green... colors? No, no. Well, there. Uh, the box will change itself. It'll get to a more to a clamshell, and it'll have the famous Dress to Kill poster mm-hmm. in it instead. But this was the original one when it was still the paper cardboard. Well, yeah, when uh, Warner's green. was using just like a picture from the movie yeah. and just slapping it on the front, sometimes arbitrarily. But this is a very good. Yeah, no, some of you know, like this look, one works. Looker is arbitrary, all yeah. right. But Dress to Kill is perfect. Yeah, all right. The way it's. But the best part, actually, I think, is the picture on the spine. Where it's just a close-up it's of Angie Dickinson's of eyes uh, yeah. as she's, as she's yeah, getting... Yeah, a little bit of a thumb. As she's her. getting taken from behind yeah. in the shower. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's great. Number two, I as well choose Demonoid. Yes! The video box with the media. The media version. Not the video treasures version. Yes. The hand Definitely grabs you. The hand one. grabs you. And number one, you can dig it right uh, on the bottom there, is the Japanese box for uh, Sonny and Jed. Sonny and Jed. Yeah, that's a pretty damn cool box. The white box. Yeah, yeah. the white J&S box. J&S. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jed and Sonny. Yeah. Actually, oh, I, I forgot about Eric Stoltz on the cover of uh, Fast Kill. <laughs> that, that, that's Cause, good. Because that is one of my favorite, uh, <laughs> this minor guy <laughs> in the movie, this like tertiary character (laughs) no that's what i love about it too (laughs) and the category is best video transfer you go home and pop that tape in soon the moving images come to life as quentin and roger have told us over the season vhs is made from original film prints this is as close to seeing a movie on film as you can get at home sometimes cool box art doesn't lead to a good transfer but in this case, we honor the best transfers of the season. So best video transfer, Gala's going to sit this one out because uh, <laughs> she didn't watch all the yeah, videos I don't, I don't with think us. that um, Amazon is going to get an award for this. Oh, yeah, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> this was actually kind of tough for me. For example, like I wrestled, the one I wrestled with over was Mikey and Nikki. Uh-huh. Because the, the dark, kind of almost murky four by three mm. transfer of the film when I was watching it, I was thinking, wow, it's really, you know, it's, it's it's muddy, it's dark. But it was representative of the print that they used. Yeah. And then when I watched the uh, the Blu-ray mm-hmm. on 4K and I realized what can go wrong when you try to get too much clarity where it's yeah, not yeah, needed, yeah, yeah. where you're trying to pull detail out where, you know, it's meant to be murky mm-hmm. and the movie's meant to be murky. Yes. And that's when I realized, wow, you know, it's like more is not always more. Yes. And so... um for that reason, oh, I'm not picking Mikey and Nikki. <laughs> that was just an example, by the way. <laughs> there was like, and therefore, and therefore, no, actually, I'm going to put Mike, Mikey and Nikki. Fuck it. Are you going? What were you going to pick instead? No, I'm actually going to drop off uh, the Private Life of Sherlock Holmes and its pristine um, yeah. image. Okay. It was actually just. Uh, it was pristine. No, but I actually, I talked myself into Mikey and Nikki as I was sitting there talking about my honorable mention, basically. I now realize that it, I was making a point greater, th- greater than the actual uh, image of the film itself. The transfer of the film itself is the principle behind the transfer. That they're going from a print, not from original negative. Well, that's why it seemed like a therefore. <laughs> therefore. Okay. 
I, I just did a classic Roger okay, moment. Okay, okay, okay. So, okay, so do you want to do it with the, the uh, therefore? <laughs> therefore. Oh, yeah. No, we just keep the whole, we should just keep that whole thing in where he's like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just keep it. It's uh, That's how I am. That's how I truly am. Okay, my, uh, my second is the keep. I thought the keep's transfer was fantastic. Way better than uh, my feelings about the movie after I saw it in the end. <laughs> Um, better than my initial assessment of the entirety of the film. Did we watch it on video or did we watch it on Laserdisc? Oh, is that what it was? Did we watch it on Laserdisc? I think we watched it on Laserdisc. You know what? Maybe that's what it was. Look, that counts as good transfer. That that counts as good transfer. That's actually why it it sits in my memory so well. You just actually answered why. I was like, why did that look so good? (laughs) Because my Laserdisc work. Yeah, your Laserdisc. Well, a laser disc is basically kind of "quote unquote" DVD level. Uh, yeah. As no, a well, we, well, we made clear that we don't. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to explain laser discs again. Okay, so the keep, yeah, yeah. the keep on laser disc. Okay, I, I, like I said, the laser yeah, disc. It counts. Transfer accounts. That's how we watched it. So I'm going to go with the keep on laser disc and the number one best video transfer, which I think was just oh so artistically achieved. Is dressed to kill, and oh. this is specifically for the pan and scan. Yeah, the quality of the pan and scan work in in this transfer because the movie is. I mean, bo- De Palma's I, a widescreen look, filmmaker. I, I agree. This with is a you. movie with uh, yeah. split screens, and I, yet they're making it all work. I agree with you, and it's even a controversial choice because a joke is lost. A joke is lost because jo- they, they can't help it. They can't help it. But a they, jo- they a joke they, is they lost. A, but they yeah. made a choice. Yeah, we we sacrifice a background joke. Yeah. Uh, you know, because of the pants, uh, and a famous one, a famous and a famous one. one. Having said that, there's still it an was inte- so there, lovingly there's done. There's still an integrity to the o- whole overall thing that is just lost. Yeah, it's an art that's just lost. It just doesn't even exist yeah, anymore. Exactly. Wow, that's a good choice. That makes me want to put Dressicle on mine. I didn't though. Um, I didn't agonize over this. Uh, what were the one? What were the transfers that immediately popped to my mind? If they Pretty much immediately popped in my mind. I figured they were the most memorable transfers. Best video transfer number three, Dirty Hands. Yes. Wizard Home Video. I remember us talking about the uh, the transfer of the print. It's beautiful. And it was, Colorful. And, it, yeah, and you could feel the film print in it. it. It almost feels like the colors are slipping off the TV. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, it felt like, you know, it's like, oh, this is almost like owning a 16 millimeter print in the movie. Yeah. Number two, and I just remember that I felt this from the moment that I first watched it uh, when I bought it at that store in Detroit, is uh, Rage. I think the transfer, yeah, even it's been compromised a little bit to make it one three three. The you know the transfer for Rage is just fantastic. Yeah, and then number one because I think it's the one that we talked the most about. I've seen it also on DVD recently. Uh, number one transfer is Straw Dogs. Yeah, because it's the one that I, I it's the one that you could tell that was taken from an IB Technicolor print and you just feel that, you know, that print, you know, is on your TV. Yeah. When you watch this video cassette and that great ABC world logo at the beginning. And it, it really captures the, mm-hmm. the texture yeah. of the celluloid, you know, yeah, the tech yeah. and the, um, the quality of light mm-hmm. in that film, and the quality of the how, dye, sh- how yeah. shiny people's skin is. Yeah, the, and... the, the, the dye of the, of the Technicolor process. It's, it's beautiful. And the category is Best Video Distributor. You've returned to the store. Yes, you have to pay a late fee, but it's because you loved that movie that you checked out last time and kept it way too long. You reluctantly return it and think about what you'd like to see next. Now, 
this distributor is a trusted brand. Be it the trailers that lead you to the next movie in their catalog, their gorgeous box art that caught your eye, the transfer that looked great, or the uniform boxes on the shelf. You now love this distribution company. In this category, we honor the distributors we love. So best video distributor. I am going number three with Paragon Home Video. Yay! There's a Paragon right there, Hostages. Yeah, that's a great choice. There was also Delirium is around here somewhere. Kind of, and American Nitro. And American Nitro. And One-Armed Executioner. And One-Armed Executioner, exactly. And we saw American Nitro because of the trailers in the front of One-Armed Executioner. Uh, okay, so... No, no, it was the trailers in front of... Delirium? Um, yeah, no, it was Hostages. Hostages, Because it was Jacqueline. Yeah, so you're right, it was, it was yeah. Hostages. Yeah. And uh, so Paragon, big fan is of them. They've entertained us a lot through the uh, season. Boy, boy, have they. Number two, Roger just had his fingers on it. Number two is Magnetic Home Video. Yes. Right, that's Straw Dogs. Yes. Da-na, da-na, da-na. With a special arrangement with ABC <laughs> Motion Pictures, yeah. Magnetic Home Video is proud to offer you this newest film on video cassette. Da-da, 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 da <laughs> All right, uh, so that's Magnetic Home Video is number two, and number one would be the bane of his godless existence, which he tries to find videos, is an unfucked up clamshell from Video Gems that I'm holding Fast Kill and Julia, two of my favorite Video Gem titles of this season. They are the bane of my existence when you ask for them. I should have gone with Magnetic Home Video. <laughs> on my list on my list and it's and but i'm uh, but because you mentioned it i'm not going to bother okay uh instead i'm gonna um just give an honorable mention first because i'm not sure it's the best distribution company but to us they may be yeah they may rank way up there and that's imperial oh yeah imperial home entertainment imperial home entertainment uh, in fact, uh, just watch Operation Nam. Yeah, Operation Nam, and uh, more importantly, because they do vacation giveaways. Yes, <laughs> Imperial Home Appar- Entertainment. Apparently so. Yes. <laughs> if you or someone you know has had a vacation giveaway uh-huh. from Imperial Home Entertainment, yeah. please call us. Yeah, they well, had a Hawaii vacation getaway with a thousand dollars of pocket cash. Yes, in in the tape in the tape that we had that uh, that was the tape that I had from the store from that from the store. It was the tape that I had from Imperial Entertainment. Operation Nam was released during the time I was at Imperial. And so we were, I had the their tape that they sent out to video stores. So we just were watching it and it had the Operation Nam trailer on it and the trailer for Days of Wrath with the great Lee Van Cleef Western. Anyway, uh, but the, they advertise that there's like a special giveaway that the, you could have a, a your choice between London or Paris or Rome <laughs> will f- try fly you first class and give you a thousand dollars spending cash and then after that I'm like oh how do you win this then after that the details get really really murky <laughs> It's a look for details on your data, 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 data. Yeah, we're wondering, did anybody ever go on those vacations? Did Sundip or Ash go on those vacations? I don't think anybody actually ever went on that vacation. But if you did, call us. But if you did, let us know. But, you know, Imperial, they also, they they gave Quentin a job. It was it was my next step in the video field after working at the store level forever, you know, to actually work for an actual video distributor. That was an easy step. My next is going to be MGM UA. 
Yeah. Mostly for uh, coma and uh, their and uh, blind rage. Yes. The, the, uh-huh. Those boxes. I love MGM UA. They never failed. They the boxes protected the tapes really well. They were classy looking. They classy had, they looking. Had the, the cast thing on the yeah. inside. Yeah, I just uh, I, I I love it. The gray. So I had to, I have to cut one. I'm cutting Warner Home Video. The, okay. The, I love Warner Home Video. Yeah. I do. Like, and it's going to be hard for me to cut it, uh, cut them. But I'm going to go ahead and cut them because Key Home Video and their oh, beautiful okay. rainbow box yes. has uh, and and the titles that they chose. Yes. And the happiness that they brought me. Just look at them together. They look great. Uh, you know, as video distributors are constantly doing what they call their catalog titles, mm-hmm. and uh, which basically means that. You know, the branding of the company is, you know, part of the the design. And yeah. For some reason with Key Home Video, I like the catalog uh box look. Yeah, no, I know. With them. You know, I like it to have the the identity of key key home video. Yeah, I, look, so, I agree. And I don't like it when they monkey around with it, make it brownish or whatever. Like uh, we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Gala just got one. Yeah, she got oh, one. Here, pull whip it up. That's yeah. See, that's not. That. It's just not the same as. Oh, the... it's not as bad as I remember it being. No, it's, it's, it's yeah, more yeah. like black. I, okay, I'm... so keys number one. Provocative. Yeah, because I get yeah. Entertainment number three. Yeah, because and then MGM UA and then number one Key Home Video. Okay. So before I get into, I'm just admiring Quentin's rollerball. Well, yeah, actually, the magnetic home the video. Magnetic home because video. mine is an MGM UA box, but I love that one's like a white box and one's a black box. This yeah. rollerball, I've given rollerball way too much. So, but this rollerball box, uh, I wasn't looking at it. I was looking at our oh, rollerball uh, box. Yeah, our who, who is this MGM, MGM UA. UA? But yeah, the magnetic. Look at that. Yeah. All of the typefaces they use. How mm. you know? Uh, and also, that's the, one where the yeah. where the catalog title. Yeah. yeah packaging the branding isn't on the box it's the poster of the movie it's and it looks beautiful perfectly also, like the Pyramount one perfectly yeah. formatted then, for the video box and then the MGM UA one has actually James Kahn's face and then this one is just kind of like a less descript wow. face wow that's interesting yeah. yeah so it's like updated art so I was just admiring it but when I bought my rollerball I bought it from a seller that included this uh, if Christ has not been raised Christ is risen from the dead like little Bible thing with it. So I keep that in my rollerball well, he's to his, keep it safe. Getting his message out however he can. <laughs> okay. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> okay. So my number three best video distributor is Paramount Home Video, but specifically the Paramount Home Video boxes that are like lipstick and the one and only. Yeah. 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 I yeah. love those. And little, little darlings too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But my little darlings is. This red, like yeah, the red. Well, See, you have now. That's now. Yeah. That's a nice. Yeah, the Paramount. The little, Whoa! Look at it open up. Look at it open up. Rub wow, it in. Wow. Rub it in. Why don't you, Quentin? <laughs> wow. See the little Paramount Hills. Ooh. Yeah. Look at that. The little... It's and, and 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 how it has the little. They made I'm like so a little. Jealous. I have tears welling up my eyes. A little Paramount logo pattern on the yeah, inside. I know. I know. It's like you could get a bed sheet made with that it pattern. Just, it's... <laughs> It's so it's so beautifully yeah. it's so beautifully Pajamas. art directed. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that specific box style, not necessarily the new box style, yeah. but that box yeah, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two goes to Paragon. Uh, when I have things on my shelf, I like them to be uniform. That's why I like the Paramount <laughs> Home Video white boxes, and that's why I like the Paragon boxes because they're uniform but mm. unique. Mm. And then my number one because I like things to be uniform. Key home video. It's got oh, okay. the rainbow. Yeah. They look great when they're yeah, next to each other. When you line up a whole bunch of key home video boxes and you've got that rainbow 
<laughs> running across your bookshelf. You just know that there's gold at the end of it. And also, they're nice, heavy tapes. Yes, no, they're very heavy tapes. Absolutely. So, well, that gets a win from right. me. The category is Best Discussion. Throughout the season, we had plenty of amazing discussions. We laughed, we cried, we fought, we agreed, we made silly quotes, and even did a few deep dives. In this category, we honor our favorite discussions of the season. Okay, so now we have best discussion. And, um, okay, this is one, since it's about ourselves, um, I'll give my... The only tie I'll give myself would be like number on number three. All right. So to me, it's kind of a tie between uh, for the third spot between our discussion of rage and our discussion of demonoid. Mm. Then for number two, I would have our discussion of Sonny and Jed. And that would leave number one, our discussion of straw dogs. All great discussions. <laughs> Yeah, if we say so ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic show. Yeah. I'm done with all of this. <laughs> okay, so my number three best discussion comes in with coma, because that was one of the first times that Quentin and I really disagreed with each other, mm. and we really disagreed with each other, and we still argued about it for months later. <laughs> yeah. And it was what really drove me in the after show to do a lot of research into coma and to. Mm dig deeper into why I felt the way I did about the movie. Mm. And I really appreciated also being able to disagree about something so strongly mm. and then just laugh about it later. Yeah, yeah. It was a really good lesson for me. My number two right is... On. My number two <laughs> is The Illustrated Man because listening to you guys say, he's a bum, just like me, he likes it hot. Pekinese, peak for Pekinese. <laughs> it's one of my favorite, favorite banters that you guys had back and forth and just being in the room during that like demonoid and that were like just as good that way but i had mm. to go with the illustrated man mm. because it's a bum who likes it hot <laughs> and my number one best discussion was the great waldo pepper mm. i loved listening to it it was such an easy listen it was a heartfelt listen mm -hmm. and we had really by that time it hit a really really great stride we yeah. had done the single movie episodes we kind of knew what we were getting into mm -hmm. And I just love that discussion. From my part, uh, our best discussions was every time we would get together. I've really enjoyed myself. <laughs> this has been so um, so much fun for me because, uh, like Allah said, it, it's not really about agreeing with each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's about learning from each other. Mm. And I've learned so much on this mm -hmm. journey of mm -hmm. making this season of this podcast. Um, you know, the, the amount of movies that I've seen that I wouldn't just pick up on my own and mm. being able to come here and watching with you, Quentin, and then to be able to discuss them and getting in the room here and just mm. discovering our dynamic. It's just been great. Mm -hmm. It's just been great. I've loved it. And for that reason, my number three is Moonraker. <laughs> because, because I actually loved it that you yeah. like, uh, and that was one of our early ones. Was our where second episode. You yeah. took a stand, and that's when we realized we don't have to agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it, and and we had such a fun discussion, mm -hmm. and it just kind of it just for me it cracked the ice. Yeah. Even though we had already kind of been, you yeah. Know, uh, it just it just opened it all up for me. So um, I really really enjoyed that, and it mm -hmm. just kind of it set a 
um, a standard for me that uh, it actually it set a running well, joke I, for me that I could say Moonraker. Well, it definitely said a running. I could say that. Moonraker at any point, and Quentin will understand what I mean yeah. by saying Moonraker. Dare I say I could listen to the Moonraker discussion more than I can ever watch Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> Moonraker discussion is entertaining from beginning to end. <laughs> so, um, when you said Sonny and Jed, I w- I just suddenly started thinking about mm. our um, yeah our Sonny and Jed conversation and how great that was. Yeah, and really that was one of my like just third eye opening up in my forehead mm-hmm. moments this season was that, and so that easily could have been on there, but it mm-hmm. wasn't. Instead, Straw Dogs was. Uh-huh. I think um, going into Straw Dogs and. Uh, I thought I knew the movie mm-hmm. and I just know it so much better now. And so I, really... but then you came up with all the stuff about the, uh, the, 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 no, the, 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 the novella that it's based on. Well, yeah. that's, that's another thing. Just like going out and reading the, mm-hmm. I had never read the, the mm-hmm. you know, the short Siege story, at Siege Farm. at Trenchner's Farm. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, I, you know, it, it, it led me into, you know, discovery. And by that point we were, I knew that I had to dig in mm-hmm. and I, you know, and that was a, just a great conversation for me. Yeah. And I'm really proud of what we did. Yeah, me too. And I am equally proud of my number one choice, which is Star 80. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, in in a similar way, Mm -hmm. I think when we watched that movie and then when we discussed it, I made a kind of realization to myself Mm -hmm. about the film Mm -hmm. and about especially the final shot of the film. And I I just, I loved our conversation. I think we handled it Mm -hmm. um, delicately, Mm -hmm. but at the same time pushed forward on it Yeah, in in a way. And and actually I think what makes me the most proud was hearing that Brett approved. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Brady Stanellis. Yeah. And well, also Brett uh, is a tough, a tough customer. He's a tough customer. He gave it, he gave it. He's going to tell you the truth of what he feels, whether he likes something or not. I couldn't even believe he was listening to another podcast. All right. You know, uh, I think he's so. And when I heard that Uh, Brett gave us his stamp of approval on star 80, I knew we were doing something right. But also my editor, uh, uh, Fred Raskin, he thinks it's like our finest hour. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and. And that means a lot. And actually, mm-hmm. you know, Fred has emailed me throughout the, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, throughout our, tapings, our season, yeah. throughout our yeah. tapings every now and then he shoots me an email and I feel like I've never responded, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I'll respond now <laughs> on the show. Thank you, Fred. <laughs> I am reading them and I'm loving them. <laughs> Thank you. Fred is famous for getting shout outs on radio because it's like, uh, um, one of his heroes of all time is Howard Stern. And so uh, whenever I'm on Howard Stern, <laughs> I always like have a reason to bring up Fred, you know, and Howard knows what it's like for that. Yeah. Hi, Fred. <laughs> the category is best soundtrack. When the music swells, our hearts do as well. Soundtracks have the power to do everything from making you cry to putting you on the edge of your seat, biting your nails. Using all sorts of instruments, these distinct composers lent their powers to the films in question. Roger starts us off with the music that stood out to him. Okay, this actually was shockingly easy for me. Mm-hmm. It just jumped, they popped right into my head. Number three was Henry Mancini for the Great Waldo Pepper. Oh, this okay. is... The kind of music that goes through my head all day long. <laughs> and Gala knows this, yeah. that I kind of, when I'm alone, I'm walking around the house like, dun, 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 I'm, I'm going to clarify this. Not when you're alone, when you're with me. Also. <laughs> I, this is the kind of early 1900s, <laughs> late 1800s music is just like in my head. Feral's music <laughs> yeah, is right. in my head constantly. <laughs> 
Number two, the choir boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, number two is Pino Donaggio for Dress to Kill. Ah. <laughs> I think um, Pino Donaggio is just so distinct a composer mm-hmm. and that uh, even his other score that we mm-hmm. saw um, that uh, what other score? Also, the Piranha. He also in, did yeah, Piranha. and Piranha, which which every now and then I was like, it, it sounds it's definitely Pino Donaggio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's Carrie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You feel the Carrie yeah, coming yeah, through. Yeah. But my favorite score is to John Barry for the Quiller Memorandum. Oh wow! And this sweeping, memorable the flexitone. Flexitone. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a right. Good it was score. a flexitone, yeah. wasn't it? It's yeah. not a harpsichord. It's a flexitone, and um. Uh, it, it it just lent such a big feeling to the movie when it needed to be big, even mm-hmm. even though it was doing sometimes small brushstrokes, he would have this kind of deep emotional score. I'm almost uncertain if any of the emotional scenes, the love scenes or anything would work without his score. Yeah, yeah. His score does a lot to carry you um, through the movie. No, the a, no, it's a classic score and the, the, the movie rides on its coattails. Yeah. Uh, I would say, okay, so number three. Uh, my worst score would be for The Keep. And I love Tangerine Dream. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. I think it's a negative one, yeah. Roger. <laughs> <laughs> my number three uh, would be uh, J- uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score for The Last Run. Yes. This actually is a soundtrack, soundtrack that's a, album Actually, I that's have. a great score. I, for, I yeah. c- forgot how great that was. That was a great And this score. is a soundtrack album I actually have, actually. That's how much I like the score. Uh, so number uh, three would be uh, The Last Run. Number two would be Eno Morricone's score for Sonny and Jed. Yes. Sonny. Sonny. <laughs> and number one would be actually one of the very first soundtrack albums I ever bought in my life when I first bought nothing but a music soundtrack album, uh, Dressed to Kill. Donaggio's Dressed to Kill. And that was actually one of those soundtrack albums where if like, if you love the movie as much as I did, when you listen to the soundtrack album, it did its job that it was supposed to do. You were supposed to be able to just walk around your room <laughs> rather than watch the movie. Yeah, feel you were, the movie. You were actually just put the soundtrack album on and walk around your room and remember the movie. Yeah. That was the whole goal of it. You well, know? All of that, and you could of... actually put it on, and you could you remember the uh, the museum scene. Yeah, well, well, all that, la, yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of those uh, mm. those voices that come in. <laughs> it's striking soundtrack. My number three is going to be Dark Star for their mm. use of Benson, Arizona. Yeah, nice. excellently used, especially for a student film. Yeah. I think one of the things that student films sometimes lack is the music. No, 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 no. And we have an early John Carpenter score. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, my number two is a score that surprisingly stayed with me for a really long time, but the One-Armed Executioner score. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what it was about that score and about the music. But it stayed with me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really cool score. And my number one best soundtrack is going to be for Cry For Me, Billy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. The yeah. songs? Yeah. The songs in it. Um, Actually, I went and you I bought- You got me at the album, yeah. Yeah, I bought the record. I enjoy listening to yeah, it. Yeah, you, you you've been Quentin. playing that record. Yeah. yeah. And then I bought Quentin the record. And yeah. I'm sure he enjoyed yeah, listening yeah. to it too. But the whole Little Sparrow song, mm-hmm. I just think it's so sweet. And I think it was one of my favorite yeah. parts about Cry For Me, Billy was mm-hmm. the song- yeah. So I just had to give it to him. Little sparrow. <laughs> the category is favorite after taping movie. Some people have asked me, 
No, I don't watch the movies for the show with Roger and Quentin. They get together, watch on VHS while they eat a pizza, and then send me a list. I find these movies so that you don't have to. However, after we record an episode, we sit back and watch a movie all together just for the heck of it. In this category, we honor the one favorite movie that we watched after recording. And the nominees are Vixen, Figures in a Landscape, Hangfire, Posse, Fast Break, Harry and Walter go to New York, Navajojo, Navajojo, The Italian Connection, The Train Killer, Stay Tuned, The Gun in Betty Lou's Handbag, Inside Out, Sunday Lovers, Bad Company, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and American Commandos. It's an interesting thing because, like, I just naturally thought, well, I want to pick a movie I haven't seen. And then I was like looking at through the list and I go, well, I've seen all of these except for two. <laughs> no, that actually doesn't invalidate my choice because yeah. my choice is still so strong. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I couldn't go by that. Okay. So I'll start it. Okay. Yes. Go I'll start. I'll start it. Okay. So uh having with my entire preamble that I just said, okay, if I wasn't going to go by that. I mean, that's just not even fair because, like, I showed what I consider classics. I, mm-hmm. Navajo Joe, that's a classic to me. That's one yeah. of my all-time favorite movies. All right? But I wasn't trying to just be defined by the classic of all time. And I was choosing something I'd seen before. I would actually choose, just for the screening of it all, uh, Fast Break. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was so fun. I had a great time when we watched Fast Break. It's just a fun movie. It's the good Jack Smite movie. Yeah. Uh, it was, and it's just fun. It's a, it's a real fun uh, a sports movie. However, I will choose, even though only, there's only two choices. Uh, to me, one of the most special screenings that we had, and it was the movie that I always wanted to see and I never got around to watching, was when we watched Fix It. And that was our very first one that we watched all together, yeah, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was such a fucking fantastic movie. And it was so exciting for all three of us to watch it for the first time together. And it just kind of lit a fuse and there was like an explosion. And it was just, it was just really a, it was a very gratifying experience all the way around. And the movie just really fucking lived up to its reputation in such a profound way. And that's a tough fucking movie to watch too. But like in the most exciting, challenging way. Dad, what was your uh, favorite after recording movie? Uh, my favorite after recording movie was Vixen. <laughs> <laughs> Easy choice. Easy choice. Russ Meyer uh, is a genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, had one of his movies actually been here uh, on this side of yeah, the? Yeah. Uh, no, no. Vixen of, would 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 uh, be number three for screenplay. And I would right. say <laughs> Russ Meyer would have been one of my favorite film distributors or yeah, video yeah. distributors <laughs> oh, yeah, as well. Absolutely, he might have been number one. Maybe next season. <laughs> yeah, maybe and next so season. Maybe yeah. next season. We will watch Harry, Cherry, and Raquel. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> my favorite after recording movie is the movie that has turned me crazy. The Train Killer. Of course, I knew I'd be yes. disappointed if it wasn't The Train Killer. I'm obsessed with The Train Killer to the point where now people know that I like train crashes in movies and are sending me <laughs> movies that have train crashes and then saying, Gala, there's a train crash in this movie. You're going to love it. Man, I love train crashes. And man, I love that train killer. <laughs> the category is favorite quote. Characters say memorable things. Quentin and Roger tend to repeat them. In this category, we honor these phrases that will carry forward into season two. You guys have quoted a lot of movies 
But man, my favorite quote has to be the illustrated man bum who likes it hot. I think I've quoted it like four or five times. We've even said it tonight, today. Yes. <laughs> Probably being the litmus test and proving that that is the best quote. But mm. I'm going to give an honorable mention to two other movies. Uh-huh. The first one is the Jet Benny show. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I'm not sure how much of that is Jack Benny. Yeah. And the second one is Baxter. <laughs> Baxter. Oh, yeah. yeah. The girl. She does not understand yeah. me. The boy doesn't get me. <laughs> she thinks I want to be The pet. boy has me all wrong. <laughs> he has me all wrong. <laughs> oh. So definitely, for me, it's between she Bunk. She in my head. I thought about that all afternoon. <laughs> kill a bird. Tomorrow, kill a bird. I love that moment. <laughs> Perhaps I'll kill it tomorrow. <laughs> Perhaps. So for me, it's between <laughs> Illustrated Man Bum Who Likes It Hot and Baxter. Uh, if that had to be broken down to one movie quote that we did the most, I think it was, you know, those are not tattoos! They are skin illustration. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it like goes for almost every line Rod Seiger says in the first 20 minutes of Illustrated Man. Illustrated yeah. Man. <laughs> uh, well, the other quotes, I also said it a couple of times in this episode. I got you by the balls, <laughs> and I'm squeezed. Weber. <laughs> Robert Weber. Robert Weber, the man. Great, the great Robert Weber. It's Never small. thought those words would ever come out of my mouth. The great Robert Weber. But now, when I think of him, I think of the great Robert, Robert Weber. Weber. Yeah, he's actually, and he's, and by the way, the great Robert Weber has his balls in his hands. He's going to squeeze them. <laughs> Because I got you with the balls and I'm squeezing. <laughs> Can't even say it. <laughs> well, my number one. I have one last little oh. other one. One last one. <laughs> Rodan. Hundreds dead. Tokyo in flames. <laughs> and still nothing will destroy them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so my number one is they are skin illustrations. <laughs> yeah. So t- even though today we've been doing the other quote from that, which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Like, Bum, he likes it hot. He likes it hot. <laughs> he likes it hot. I his, like it hot. His name is Peak. And, and Yeah. And so maybe <laughs> that is the uh, uh-huh. the more favorite quote, but their skin illustrations just felt like that began the quotes for our uh, yeah, I agree. I, our episodes. Absolutely. And then uh, when I was talking about Dennis Franz earlier, and I thought, you know, well, you get Jim from out of town, in town, and downtown. <laughs> like, that is... Coming out of Dennis Franz's mouth, one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And the fact that it lands in the middle of this like thriller and that it's so funny and like out there. I mean, Franz is great in that movie. Yeah. Franz is great in that movie. Oh, Miss Blake. Oh, have I offended you? Oh, am I too crude for you? Yeah, that's right. I cut the shit. <laughs> The category is Season 1's Most Valued Player. Quentin starts us off with his reasoning as to how he picked his picks. So I just took this to mean, as opposed to one movie, more like what Roger did earlier on, (laughs) (laughs) is what I took this one to be, where particularly it uh, it was individuals, individuals inside of the movies that we watched that became... Video yeah, during my MVPs. discoveries, when yes. I was like, uh... yes, yeah, during your discoveries. All right, so number three is our very first discovery is uh, Tommy Sullivan mm. ah. from Cocaine Cowboys. Yes, 
And then we did the research, and the research just kept on giving. And it was uh, this his his story was even even more interesting than the movie. Number two, it would be Fernando Guerrero. Yeah, from One Arm yeah. Executioner. Both his performance as the one-armed executioner and, and less, <laughs> but I still liked him. Uh, his uh, performance as the bad guy. I own you. I own you. <laughs> in uh, American Commando. And, and that great white outfit that he has with, yeah, the, the, with white, the necklace built into it. Yes, exactly. The Jim Morrison kind of yeah. uh, shirt with the necklace built in. But I have to say, Video Archives MVP, Samantha Egger and Demonoid. That's a great choice. Number three, Jack Palance. <laughs> for me. Just uh, in general. In general. I think <laughs> For he, existing. Just for existing. Thank well, you, Mr. and Mr. Palance. It really is for Cocaine Cowboys. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. But yeah. we watched both um, during this- and, He is fantastic And we watched Blood a number City. of movies on our own as yeah, well. Yeah, yes, exactly. And I just love Jack Palance. But he's going to be my honorable mention today. Oh! He's going to be my honorable mention because I'm actually the crowd gonna, clutches their pearls. I'm actually going to bump him. I gasp. I'm actually going to bump him because it just uh. occurred to me. I think Joe Dante is my MVP for this because mm-hmm. not only was he a guest, mm-hmm. but he directed Piranha. <laughs> wow, he's <laughs> stealing the show right there, Roger. <laughs> well, I mean that to me that makes him a, a very valuable player. Uh, okay, he I cro- he came through the that fourth wall. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, and he, he did. entered the room. So uh, and he's still number three. <laughs> he's still number three, though. And why? Why is he number three? Because Rod Steiger is number two. I mean, Rod Steiger could easily be number one. Yes. And uh, and actually, I have him written down here as number one. <laughs> but I'm going to place him as number two. So you're just juggling everything as we're on the fly. Yeah. Well, Joe Dante messed me up. Okay. And so, but Rod Steiger, and I mean Steiger. <laughs> yes. The amount of work that he did for us, yes, between Illustrated Man, between Dirty Hands, between Hennessy, mm-hmm. and, and and it goes on. The loved one, <laughs> the, the Joy loved boy. one, Doctor Joy Boy. Uh, like, uh, really, he should be number one. But uh, but I'm still <laughs> you're I'm, talking yourself back into your. I'm original. talking myself back into it. Rod knows that he's number one. In but your heart. but I'm going to give it to Susan George. Oh, wow. Number one. Because um, I think she's so brave. Mm-hmm. I had always been aware of her and always mm-hmm. known her work. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I've even seen these movies, you know, before. Yeah, yeah. But watching her now and uh, and especially Sonny and Jed and then having uh, her realizing that she's going from Straw Dogs to, yeah. to Corbucci. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, thank you for the movies. Okay, so my brain like decombobulated during that discussion because when I thought of MVP, I didn't realize like we could just pick anyone. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I'm, I'm oh, you give... mean when I picked Joe Dante, suddenly yeah, you were like, you and were then like, Punch uh... was naming all these awesome names, and I was like, <laughs> um, you can pick anyone. Well, I'm just gonna give an honorable mention because I have to to Cobra Boy from Jungle Raiders. <laughs> okay. Cobra Boy, yes. Jungle Raiders late edition of really it was uh, really good what is the, 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 that that movie that ends up being on the top ten list by being released so late in the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's because everyone remembers it. Yeah, yeah, but he's just my honorable mention. Yeah, but I love Cobra Boy. 
and cover boy story My, yeah i wonder if if jungle raiders and one-armed execution had been, had been reversed yeah, 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 in, yeah in when we showed them and and uh had them on the show the jungle raiders is still i like i i gave one of the awards away to it too yeah. well we all gave for best yeah yeah, yeah best uh opening yeah best opening. but my number three spot is going to go to telly savalas Ah. because <laughs> I love ah. not only is, his, is he Telly Savalas in Sonny and Jed yeah, yeah. as this video box shows but we watched Inside Out yeah, for we actually, yeah, our yeah, after recording out, movie yeah, yeah, uh-huh. and we also watched another of his movies but we didn't cover it I forget what name it was it was like when they go to Greece and there's like prisoners oh yeah yeah Escape from Athena Escape Escape from from Athena Athena. so we watched a lot of his stuff behind the scenes and also on the podcast so Telly gets my number three spot it's like that one moment where he's bossing everyone around (laughs) (laughs) and inside I go well, if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me spell it out for you. <laughs> like, like, a, like he's like he's in Jersey or something. <laughs> it's like he was a very commanding, commanding man. Yeah, that he was. My number two spot is going to George C. Scott. This man has felt enough rage throughout our show for a lifetime. I don't know if anyone can ever feel the way that this man feels. My number one video archives MVP, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Rod Steiger. <laughs> Yay! So good that I don't even know what his native accent is because yeah. I keep thinking that no matter what role he's in, he just is that. I think he is Hennessy. I think he's a Mexican in Duck You Sucker. Duck You Sucker. Duck You Sucker. I think he is Mr. Joy Boy. And I just think he is whatever he puts himself into he just is and my brain completely or forgets about revenge consumed hennessy yeah literally i always forget i don't know what accent he actually has and i don't care to know because rod steiger is amazing and i love him <laughs> and he's a bum who likes it hot, it's a likes it hot. <laughs> and now for the voice of god to tell us which movie reigns supreme tying yeah. with eight awards each we have Dark Star, Sonny and Jed, Demonoid, and Moonraker. Oh, <laughs> wow. wow. But then just above that is in second place, The Loved One. Wow. And then just above that, well, not just above that, uh, five or six awards above that is Dress to Kill taking the top spot. Dress to Kill with the top spot. But I'll, I'll very quickly give a short shout out to all of the movies that you covered on this season that did not get any awards from any of you. <laughs> Firefox, Delirium, The Relic, Welcome to Blood City, Eyes of Laura Mars, Happy Birthday to Me, The One and Only, Slithis, Hostages, Julia, Mr. Scarface, The Young Nurses, My Knights of Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie, Wrestler's Rhapsody, Buster and Billy, Backstab, Elzada's Raid, The Marshal of Madrid, and Blast Fighter. And you know what? That was a... And, a- and that was a good little group of movies you just mentioned, yeah. too. And they were... All they of were, them deserving. All of them deserving. But you can only give out so many. Yeah, there can be only one. <laughs> there can be only one. You know, uh, frequently on this show, it's uh, it's been just Quentin and I watching the movies together. And then sometimes Gala comes over and she watches them with us. And then it's us here in the room with Josh. And we're pretty much like, you know, every mm-hmm. now and then we have a guest and everything. But uh, And so it's been really super gratifying. But what has really made it gratifying is the fact that this is actually going out there and so many people are enjoying it and it's been touching so many people and the feedback that we've been getting from it. Yeah. 
what I what I hear from people out there and how energized uh, people are by, you know, making new discoveries as well. That is really what our show was all about. It's what we wanted to achieve. And I'm really happy to say, I feel like we did it. I feel like we achieved what we set out to do. I, I agree. So thank you to really more than anything, everybody out there. Yeah. Because it's you all that make the movies. Hi, everyone. It's Josh. Just dropping in at the end here to say what a dream it is to make the Video Archives podcast. As the silent partner sitting in on every recording, it sometimes feels like I'm the first fan of this show. I'm lucky enough to get to hear all these episodes before anybody else gets to. Uh, Getting to work with Gala, who brings so much knowledge and passion and hard work to every taping, especially for these after shows, which were really her brainchild, makes my job as a producer so much easier. Roger is just a wonderful guy who made me feel instantly welcome in this crew. I always love getting to catch up with him pre-show to talk movies and anything else. And Quentin, the, the ringmaster, has been so kind welcoming me into his home and has opened me up to a world of film I barely even knew existed. Seriously, I thought I was a film buff before I started on video archives, but I am a featherweight compared to these three. And my movie knowledge feels so much richer after just one season. So it's a, it's, it's a joy to get to find the perfect trailer drop or foreign release poster for the newsletter and get to add my little contribution to the Video Archives canon. Uh, I want to throw a thank you to Casey, Devin, Patrick, Greta, Alex, Aaron, Jared, Jeff, and Emma, Marissa and Hannah, Colin, Natalie, everybody at Stitcher who's contributed to making this show special. It's really a team effort. Thank you all for listening and being part of our little community, and I'll see you next season. Quentin, Roger, and I would like to thank our guest customers this season. Customer number 1101, Jacqueline Coley. Customer number 1102, Eli Roth. Customer number 1103, Joe Dante. And employee unruly Julie Jules McLean for coming into the store and bringing their personalities to the mic. We would also like to thank our expert Mark Hoyk for coming on the after show to discuss The Visitor and the Apple. I would like to thank our wonderful advertisers and everyone who worked on the show and made it possible to be brought to you, the listener. Roger, Quentin, and I would also like to give a special shout out to fellow producer Josh Richmond. Not only does Josh sit in with us every recording session, but he also helps shape every episode in the edit and puts together the wonderful weekly countertalk newsletters. I couldn't ask for a better partner. But most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in every week to the Video Archives podcast. You are who make this show possible. So thanks, everyone. This is Gala Avery signing out. See you next season on the Video Archives Podcast. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives. I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org. 
to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 